This is Jocko Podcast number 179 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. So, the Spear Danes in days gone by and the kings who ruled them had courage and greatness. We have heard of those princes' heroic campaigns. There was Shield Sheafson, scourge of many tribes, a wrecker of mead benches rampaging among foes. This terror of the hall troops had come far. A foundling to start with, he would flourish later on. As his powers waxed and his worth was proved. In the end, each clan on outlying coasts beyond the whale road had to yield to him and begin to pay tribute. That was one good king. Boom. Opening with a little bit of Beowulf, and that is the opening of Beowulf, translated by Seamus Haney. What I notice is even back in the day, in the opening of the the original Old English poem, the first one written, what are they talking about? They're talking about war and they're talking about leadership. And you can hear in the beginning, he was a little bit of a weak leader. He was a foundling to start with, but he would flourish later on, became a good king. And that's what happens. You learn, you get better, and that is why we talk about war and leadership here. And speaking of war and leadership, back for a third time, my brother, Jason Gardner, retired Master Chief, who I've known since I got into the teams in the early 90s. He's been on the podcast before, so if you haven't listened to 167 and 168, go listen to those first. There's a lot of ground covered on those podcasts, and. I told him to listen in and listen to him again and see which what we missed so we could go back and that's what we're gonna do now. Cover some more ground, hit some of that stuff that we missed. So, welcome back, Jason. Thank you. Check. There's, I, I, when I first got that translation, which was actually when I was in college, and it starts off with, so. <laughs> I just said, oh my God, this is totally legit. <laughs> So I start thinking with so a lot now when I write, I do that, I do that. So uh, yeah, welcome back. How's retirement treating you? Good to go. <laughs> I was gonna say awesome, but I beat awesome absolutely to death in the last two podcasts, so oh, I'm gonna try and ban it from your, my <laughs> Did your Southern California childhood creep out with some awesome? <laughs> yes. Everything is awesome. Yep. Yeah, so you gotta watch out for that. So what do we miss? I know we missed something from your youth. What were you talking about? The best, the best show you ever saw. The best punk rock show you ever saw. Yeah, there was a one that, and, and this is before I could even drive. A buddy of mine, Justin Hawkins and Alicio, went up to this this gig at Cypress College, and it was Di Plain Rap, the Dickies, the Vandals, wow. the Circle Jerks, hmm. and there might have been one other band. For seven dollars in presale. Yeah. So we got presale tickets. We went up there. 
got in, there was probably about 500 people outside who weren't able to get in because it sold out. Oh, wow. So they just went ahead and knocked the doors down yeah. and all flooded in. So what that meant was nobody got searched coming in for security and people had crazy stuff like firecrackers. <laughs> it was way overcrowded for you know what the safe, safe amount for the building yeah. was. So when you went up by where the doors were, the security guys had just put pushed all these tables and chairs and were sitting on them up against the doors to keep anybody else from coming in. And the the show is just unreal. There were three mosh pits, and then when the circle jerks came out, they opened up with Wild on the Streets. The whole floor exploded. One of the pits started floating, crashed into another pit. People were throwing bricks of firecrackers around. It was mass pandemonium. It was so much fun. And so you were like 14 or 15? 15 years old, yeah. yeah. My mom had dropped me off at the <laughs> pit. <laughs> dropped us off there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, good for then, your mom. Oh, yeah, she's good that's to go. That's squared away, man. That's squared away. Yeah. Because a lot of times you, if your parents, if parents try and shield their kids from that, or they won't let them go, then you would have just snuck out. They would have never known where and, you were. Yep, and gotten in trouble. And you would have rebelled against it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because yeah, that's exactly. what happens. If you're if you're if your parents try and control you too much, it's kinda like with, with any person, right? You try and control them too much, then they get out of control. They rebel against you. Right. It was a discussion I think I was having the other day with uh, um your daughter about mm -hmm. people just trying to box people in. And it's yeah. another example of yep. over-centralized command. And yes, it is. Too much too much stuff like that, they're just gonna go the other way. I was actually, I was talking about this with a leader in a company and I was explaining, because like for sure, money drives people, compensation drives people, but ability to choose your fate or have some influence over your fate is, is it also very powerful motivator and incentive for people to follow. So when you have a, like if you have one job where you make more money, but you don't have any freedom and you don't have any control over your own fate versus a job where you get paid less money, but you have really a lot of autonomy, mm -hmm. most people will go with the autonomy. There are rare people that don't want any autonomy. They just pretty much want to get told, hey, give me my paycheck, I'll do whatever you tell me to do and that's fine. And they're not into their job, but, but a lot of people, the more autonomy you give them, the more into it they are, the more they enjoy what they're doing. Whereas if you're just micromanaging them or centralized command scenario, they're not into it and that's a problem. And that the first person you gave the example of probably exercises no initiative whatsoever. Exactly, exactly. You know what, you have to address that. You have to address that when we're working with companies that there are people that they just wanna get their paycheck. They're gonna punch the clock at 4.59 every day and that's the way it is. They don't wanna get promoted. They're fine with that. And so you gotta know, and you know, my answer to those people always is, oh, if you're leading someone like that, okay, you know what you've got, get the most out of them, take good care of them, and they'll do their job well, and you know you can count on them for that. So that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that. It, it, just that somebody that does have higher goals, or different goals, I guess, where they wanna break out of that, then you gotta give them the opportunity, and those people, if you box them in, they're gonna rebel against you, you gotta look out. Yeah. They'll be like Jason Gardner, age 15, with a mohawk. <laughs> <laughs> Check, check. So I know one of the other things that, that you wanted to talk about a little bit was uh, was Scotty Wirtz. That's right. You know, and just coming after right after Memorial Day, it, it's really fitting to di discuss him. Scotty was a good friend of mine, um, just a fantastic team guy. He did uh, 
He did six years in the teams and then separated in 2005, and he did what a lot of guys did at the time was mm-hmm. he started contracting overseas because he wanted to be at that point of friction. And for Scotty, I don't think he was ever ever happier than, than when he was at that point of friction. So he did a bunch of contracting. He wound up getting hired by the Defense Intelligence Agency as a, as a GS position, a full-time position. And then January, uh, this last January, he was uh, killed by a suicide bomber when he was out operating in Syria. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I got the text message, we were all in a group text that, that he'd passed and I just, man, it kind of floored me for a second. But then, you know, it's like Scotty died doing what he loved. And he was just such, he was a maniac in the best sense of the word. Like the hardest I've ever laughed in my life is with him. And, And most people will tell you that anytime they've had a good belly laugh or something, he, you know, was with Scotty. And he had that kind of, contagious smile where you look at pictures and Seth is a lot like this. Mm -hmm. When I look at Seth's pictures, he's got that smile that just has that special thing about it Mm -hmm. that automatically makes you, you smile. Then, you know, you are not ever going to be the voice of reason and you are always going to be a good time and you're a good friend. And so while there's, there's remorse that he's not here anymore, I'm so fired up that I got to spend the time with him that I did. And uh, so anyway, I, I mean, there you really have it. He passed. He's from St. Louis, so they had a big funeral for him there, and it was at this Catholic cathedral. There had to be a 1,000 people mm-hmm. inside that cathedral, and it was raining the day they had it. So the... The funeral procession from the cathedral to the military uh, cemetery where they buried him had to be like at least 30 miles. Every single overpass on the freeway on the drive there had fire trucks and first responders out on it. The freeway, they shut the freeway down. Every exit was stopped by police officers, which is which is pretty, pretty dang cool. That's awesome. But then when we got off the freeway and we were driving on the surface streets, people, the people of St. Louis just pulled their cars over and they were standing at attention out in the rain. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's moving when someone in uniform does that, but you almost kind of expect that out of them. But when you see like, a 30-year-old mother of two and her two, like, eight-year-old kid and seven-year-old kid mm-hmm. standing at attention with their hands in the heart, over their hearts in the rain, and it was a cold rain. As, as he went by, it's just, it's an, it's an amazing and humbling experience to, uh, to see that kind of love and respect by the people of this country and the people of St. Louis. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I well, I was at, with with Chris Kyle's procession going um, down to where he was buried, and that was a long drive. I want to say it was a few hours, wow. and the entire thing. And again, it was raining. Same thing. We're in Texas, but it's raining, and sure enough, I mean, there was people were lined the entire way, and I was riding with one other guy, and it was just 
and we were in this massive, there was a massive procession of people, but it was just, I, I remember sitting there for a long time, and it's just the windshield wipers just going back and forth. We were not talking because there's nothing to say. You can't, you can't put words to that. You know, you can't put words to thousands of people standing out in the rain with their hands on their hearts, just every bridge, fire trucks, flags hung up from the ladders extended. Yeah, this uh, that same same type of feeling that that I had when when I was doing that, and it definitely makes you realize that, regardless of all the what do they say these days that America is division, all this division that everyone talks about. There's plenty of people that that understand what it what it takes to keep this country free for sure. Absolutely, I feel like it's such a small and maybe vocal minority that's out there and I I don't think it's on a whole I think we're we're on even though a lot of us have our differences and I think we're figuring out how to discuss politics just by looking at how people discuss stuff on social yeah. media and people are dialing it in and they're they're able to have realistic discussions with each other without getting too hateful mm-hmm. and there's some people that are still figuring that out yeah for sure i'll say two things about that i was on i was on ben shapiro's podcast yeah and you know ben was like and and ben's a real nice guy he's you know very nice to me and and all, and all that and he's you know he's What's pretty cool about him is he's he's like got this running list of everything that he said that's stupid or wrong or whatever you know mm-hmm. his mea culpa list. But anyways, as we were having this conversation, he was hinting at the fact of this massive division and you know these the, the, the massive right against the massive left and and you know I said, listen, man, I, I travel the our whole country all the time. I work with construction companies, with finance companies, with now you do too, insurance mm-hmm. companies. I mean, we meet people from every different industry. I said, these people aren't on the extreme right. They're not on the extreme left. They're common sense, they're Americans. And I said, you, Ben, you're you're like here at, at, at ground zero for political like mayhem. And so what do you expect to see? Like you're, you're, the, you're the lightning rod for a lot of this stuff and so that's what you hear. I said, normal America it isn't really like that. You know, it's just, not, it's just not, I'm out there all the time. You're out there all the time now. You know, you see it. No one's coming up to you saying, you know, with, with some extreme views. Are there a small number of people? Sure, on both sides, yes, absolutely. But in general, people are realizing, oh, well, that's not a bad point. And then I was on, Brian Koppelman's podcast, and we were talking about the same thing. And what's interesting is, you know, um, Ben Shapiro's pretty pretty far on the right, and and Brian Koppelman's pretty far on the left. And me, I, th- I think they're both really nice guys that are super cool. And but what I said to him was, you, you know, what wh- what you're saying, what I believe is leading to the attitude kind of shifting, is basically this: if you're not humble and you think you know everything, then why should I listen to anything that you say? You know, why should, if I'm on the far left, why should I listen to anything? I know everything and everyone on the right is wrong. If I'm on the far right, why should I listen to anyone that anyone say, anything that anyone's saying on the other side? I know everything. If you're humble and you say, you know what? I've got some ideas, but I'm probably not 100% right. You know, maybe I'm only 98% right. Mm-hmm. No, if you just look at other people and say, oh, you know what? I probably don't have the full 
solution for this. Maybe I should listen to other people's opinions and try and try and come up with a a more broad based idea than just what I think. So I think people are starting to realize if you take one extreme view and you don't listen to anyone else, then you're wrong. And so I think people are becoming a little bit more balanced. I certainly hope. I yeah. And and I know that that I've got some really really close friends that are on both ends of the spectrum. And when I sit down them with them and have a logical conversation with them, I find out that our values yeah are the they're the same. Yeah. And really it's just a lot of misrepresentation and and some unfortunate semantics sometimes that uh you know, drawn us to different directions or put us on different sides. And, you know, that's it. Speaking of the left hand and the right hand. <laughs> this is You've got to tell the story about, and this is, this is a good revealing story about, I've, I, I allude to oftentimes the dark sense of humor in the teams and there's a dark sense of humor in the military and you kind of have to have a dark sense of humor and I think did you see the movie range 15 no oh okay it's it's about it's just a crazy movie that Tim Kennedy and 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 Matt best and the black rifle coffee company oh, yeah like they, all those guys they yeah. throw the keys to the girl yeah that's the- yeah it's just it's just every horrible dark joke that you can make they make and I don't know how well it did or whatever. It did good enough. It did good enough. I mean, I'm sure it offended a lot of people. I'm sure it offended a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. But they they did it. So good good on them. But you know, you talk about that that kind of dark sense of humor. And I think this story, which you like, called me. I don't know whatever it was six months ago or whatever. And you go. I gotta tell you a story. <laughs> which whenever you call me and tell me that, I get super excited. And I tell my kids to leave the room, and I like put you on speakerphone, and I put you on speakerphone, and then I mute, so I don't, so I don't interrupt you by laughing so hard. Because whenever you call me, you tell me you got a good story. I'm, I'm thinking, here we go. So yeah, tell us about the hand. So and 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 I talked to Aaron Kendall this morning to make sure I got the details correct. <laughs> So Aaron Kendall's a SEAL that was working at the training detachment when I was the command master chief there. And he is on a hunting trip out in Texas, like a foundation-supported hunting trip. And he's driving one of those side-by-sides out to where he's going to hunt. Like side-by-side ATV Yeah, like an ATV, like one of those razors, right? And it rolls. And the roll bar smashes his left arm. So he makes a tourniquet out of his belt and walks like a mile back to the range house. And then they call, uh, they try to call Lifelight. Lifelight can't come out, it's too foggy. They get an ambulance, comes and gets him. They start driving him up towards, uh, to a hospital at San Antonio. Now he's in the hospital. They wind up having to amputate his left hand in the hospital, in this first hospital. Why is that? Oh, because it was just completely smashed. So it was so smashed that everything was Yeah, his was forearm just was just smashed. Destroyed. It was done. He was losing so much blood through there. And they, they, they ended up like they kind of had to fight to save the amputation below his elbow because uh-huh. they were worried that because later on in surgeries, they were taking more and more. So there were a couple other team guys that were there and other team guys flew in to help out. And they're staying at this hotel 
right outside the, the hospital where he's at. So they take him from where he was. They take him to this hospital. He's at this hospital, and Got at it. that hospital, they have to amputate his hand. So he's bedside talking with the other with some other seals, and there the surgeon who amputated his hand is in there checking on him, and they ask the surgeon, "Hey, do you guys still have his hand?" And the surgeon says, "Yeah, I think so. I don't, you know, we haven't destroyed." And, and they asked him, what are you going to do with it? And he goes, well, you know, I guess we, they destroyed it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so Aaron asked, well, can I have my hand? And the surgeon says, I'll go check. <laughs> so he goes and checks with the administrators, right? And they, they come back and they say, yeah, you have to fill out these forms, but we'll give you the hand. So they fill out the forms. They give the hand to... Um, one of the other SEALs actually receives a hand because Aaron now or has, has had to move to a different hospital that's a little bit better to deal with the amputations. Mm-hmm. And they've got his hand with the intent to take it to a taxidermist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in the meantime, they're keeping it in the, the freezer of the hotel. And they're taking turns spending time with Aaron. So a guy will be there at the hospital with Aaron while he's in the other hospital. Another guy's at the hotel and they're flipping back and forth. Which is a little testament to like, well, the way it is for team guys. Guys are just, just looking out just for each other. Just take care of you. Like you're in the hospital. Someone's going to stay with you 24 hours a day. It's awesome. Right. So one of the guys that's back at the hotel room decides that either he's got to go somewhere and he wants to put the hand in the other guy's freezer or he's going to play a joke on one of the other guys and put the hand in his bed. (laughs) And so he comes up with these different ruse to try and get the hotel staff to let him into the room and they're not having any of it because he looks kind of shady and he's a team guy. Yeah, yeah. So, he, so he's telling them, oh, hey, you know, my friend left his phone in the room. Can I get in there? And they're like, well, no. Or, hey, well, no, actually, it wasn't his phone. It was his ID. And ex- I need to go, like all that stuff. That, that kind and of stuff. And they're shutting him down because he looks the, like a criminal. Yes. So then he, he leaves to go to the hospital, I guess. But they're suspect. They're suspect. <laughs> the poor maid goes in there and finds a hand in the freezer. <laughs> it, I have a picture of it. It's horrible. <laughs> It's all gray and just like ripped off right there. So Adam's family style. Yes. And so they, of course, call the police. The police show up and they just detain everybody. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Of course. And then Aaron's in the hospital and all the nurses come up and they're like, hey, all these police are calling here. They need to talk to you something about your hand. So he's got to get on the phone and explain to the police why his hand is in the thing. And I think they probably validated something with the doctor too and, you know, calm him down that this wasn't some kind of murder. Yeah. And uh, then they kind of settled everything. They threw everybody out of the motel. Aaron gave his hand to the taxidermist. He had a nice, what they call European mount where the taxidermist in Texas is awesome. So they, they mounted like the skeleton hand is in this really cool mount inside glass all done up for him and uh aaron just had he had the best sense of humor about the whole thing you know if if you're gonna get depressed i mean losing a limb is a is a pretty good way to do it you know Mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways he's like some of the stuff you see out of guys like you know travis mills where it's just funny you're not guys like that you're you're not gonna bum them out just gonna keep them going but yeah hysterical so then that's 
obviously one is like one of many stories. How does that translate to like when you're dealing with your with your family? Like so, for instance, my wife when I when I had to go to college, I had to go to the University of San Diego, and so this is my first time in my adult life that I wasn't like in a platoon, and so I was. I, I didn't really think about it, but all of a sudden, I didn't have anyone to like attack verbally all day. Because when you're in a SEAL platoon, it's just constant, you know, attack and combat, verbal combat, sometimes physical combat. And so when I would come home from school, of course, there's my wife, and I'd want to have some verbal sparring matches. <laughs> so I'd start hacking away at her, you know. And finally, after three months, she goes, she goes, she goes, she's a Brit, you know. She she says, uh, hey. I'm not a team guy, you know. And when she said that to me, I, it instantly, I instantly realized exactly what she was talking about, and I knew she was a hundred percent right. I can't treat my wife as if she's an E5 and a SEAL. <laughs> no, and especially like the weapons cleaning table. Oh, when we we're all stuck there cleaning weapons is when guys would just. That's when the, you'd look for weaknesses in any spot in any guy and oh, just yeah. start pick, pick, picking, waiting yeah. for the reaction. Yeah, you, you spend so much time with people. And so much time just waiting. You know, it's a hurry up and wait thing. So, oh, what are we going to do on a, on a four-hour van ride? Yep. We're going to destroy someone, get into a fight, spill Cheetos everywhere. <laughs> you know, just like total chaos and mayhem. But, yeah, it's all about that. But that. But I guess what I'm asking is I know, you know, Iris obviously had to get, uh, what's the word, indoctrinated into the life of because you know, I met my wife when I was pretty young. Yeah, and you you were not that young. No, and so you you know you how'd that work out? Like so, the ideal wife, the I don't say ideal. I'm gonna throw that on you, poor Iris. Listen to this, but the squared away. Let's say that the yeah. squared away spouse. You, what does that look like? It. So I got to go back to. If you look at my career. And, and you know this because you said this to her when she was on the podcast. Like, mm-hmm. she's the best thing that ever happened to me. Oh, yeah. Because she's completely squared away. Mm-hmm. And it's because she's so solid and independent. And so there was never, ever any aspect of me having to worry about the home front. And there's a constant, she's like very dialed in and challenges me. Like a lot of my, I, I, I had a lot of like pretty far right political views. And then when we sit down and have discussions and stuff, she's really opened my aperture up on that. But, you know, you look at her history where she, uh, she worked on ranches where she was the only female wrangler with a whole bunch of cowboys. So she, she got it. She had that aspect of what it's, what it's like to be around and then around guys and then when I'd be messing with her like that, you know, she just same deal as Helen. Let me know. Just put you in check. Basically. Yeah. And the you know, this this job that we have where we're constantly going forward in harm's way. And they're there I chose my words kind of per, uh poorly on the last podcast when I was talking about her I said that she put up with a lot of stuff that other women wouldn't, and that that gives the indication that she tolerated a lot of shenanigans. Negative. She was, the strength that she had to have 
to be home while I was on combat deployments and then deal with me when I came back, that strength, most, most women just can't deal with that kind of lifestyle and don't have that kind of... What were the words that you used on the last podcast? She put up with a lot of yeah, shenanigans. Yeah, I said oh, put up. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. that that was a really poor choice of words because yeah. it indicates like she was just a pushover and she is absolutely not a pushover. Yeah. It it's, it's just, more yeah, it's more like she had the strength to contend with the 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 hard life that it is. Exactly. Of being married to some guy that's going on constant deployment and isn't around a lot and then when they're gone by the way, they might die. They might come back horribly wounded, whatever, and you sign up for that as well. And she's working long hours and raising two little kids while I'm going on six-month deployments. Yeah. And then she's she also, like, and, and I pretty much, I stayed in contact her with, with her pretty often. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we pretty much talked at least three times a week, mm-hmm. three times a week on deployment. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and that's the model at work for us. I've described it, and I forget who I described it to, as emotional independence. Like m- my wife had, has and had enough emotional independence that she was going to run the show if I'm not there. She's not freaking out, you know. Yeah. And I think that's if you're going to look for a, a, a good spouse, they got to be. You can't be. They can't be codependent, right? Codependent is actually actually like a bad thing, right? I mean, that's an, an actual bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. Codependency. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, so, it, but if you go to the other end of the spectrum, or not, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's, I guess if you go too far on that spectrum, then you get to where, hey, I don't even, oh, you're gone? I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. Sorry, yeah, I'm yeah. over here doing my own thing. Mm-hmm. So you, but you gotta find a good, strong balance, probably leaning towards independent, in my opinion. You gotta be leaning towards independent. Because if you're not leaning towards independent, I mean, when you don't get the, you, you know, it sucks being here by yourself for six months. It's not a true partnership if, if, if they're not equal, right? If you're kind of not equal footing and one person really needs the other yeah. one, um, then, then the partnership at, ship aspect of it is it, it's not there. Yeah, that's, a, that's something to, to pay attention to. Because the thing that's kind of weird is when you're young, guys get suckered into the being. It's it feels all empowering to have someone that's all dependent on you. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Oh so yeah. When you're young and you got the girl and she's all dependent on you, and the world revolves around you, and then when you're not there, she's falling apart, and you feel, oh yeah, I'm the man. And so it's easy. I think that I've seen that happen a lot, where guys get suckered into those situations and. That's not a good situation to get. It never works out into. because yeah. then they're like, "Who's well?" And then she's in a situation. If it's if it's that kind of girl, she's going to find someone else to take care of her while you're not there to exactly take care of her. Right. Um, and then the, the case with Iris is like we're inside the same box as far as uh, just the things that we enjoy, where we want to be in the outdoors. It's it's all the same thing. So you know, it's like I said in my retirement ceremony when I look. Look, I look at the trajectory of my career, and then when Iris and I became together, I went from platoon chief to master chief, first time up every mm-hmm. time, and just hammered it because she was a good partner, and she drove me to be better and is always driving me to be better. 
it helps to have somebody that's super squared away like that. You know what that does? It forces you, like you're not just doing it for yourself because it's easy. Sometimes it's easier to let yourself down, right? Yeah, it's easier to let yourself down than to let down this person that's that's looking at you thinking, "Hey, you could do better than that." Come on, are you uh-huh. serious right now? And and that's the kind of stuff that she'll say to me. <laughs> you know, she's very straightforward, and I'll be go. I'll just say, "Check, got it." And then we, we've gotten to the point where we can give each other pretty honest feedback without there being any resentment involved. I've been pretty straightforward with Iris on some things. We're working on some projects together. Yep. And it's pretty cool for me to be able to just be real straightforward with her, you know? Yeah. And she's like, no, tell me. Well, actually, no, how does she say it? She says, no, go ahead and tell me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Check. So... You know, speaking of Afghanistan, um, you're, you, 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 you did, the, the last time you were on, you know, we, we breezed through Afghanistan pretty quick. We did. But that was actually a, a, a really um, pretty big deployment in terms of what you guys did there. Yep. And I know there were some details that you wanted to get into on some of those operations and some of the things that you brought home from those operations lessons learned, etc. I mean, you were talking about one earlier, talking about the Madus and bringing the Madus. That's a, that's, a, that's a good piece of gear to bring out on an operation. Yeah, and usually you got it marked on, mounted on top of a truck. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, when we did that, that operation uh, as Frag 06 and uh, Siege Engine, and we actually went into Marja, and the element that I was with was in a blocking position that was looking down a road that ran east-west, and we were the furthest east position, so we were blocking position on, on that direction. And where we got dropped off was really close to where we were going to stay for four days. So we, were, you know, we brought a mortar in. We brought the, the M2HB heavy barrel, 50 cal machine gun with the big... Uh, tripod for it and everything. How'd you break that up? How many guys would carry that? God, that's a lot of weight to carry, man. You start talking yeah. about the ammunition and the weapon and the tripod. Well, the ammunition got pair dropped into oh, us, okay. but the initial in, the initial insert, we had an eight ATV on the helicopter, and a lot of that stuff was loaded on the ATV. Plus, we were inserted maybe two hundred yards from the position. Okay. So everything was kicked out of the helo, Got staged. It. We went and cleared the building and then hauled everything over there and set it up. And we'd done all the, you know, the imagery set up for, okay, here's what we're gonna be, here's where our firing lanes, all that all that stuff was pretty much set up ahead of time. Once you guys were doing that, we started the guys in trade at that we were putting through training started doing it, started carrying them in. There was some big team guy. <laughs> oh, he just got back from deployment. He, I know exactly who you're talking about. He would carry the 50 cal like he looked like he was carrying a 60. He did. And it was a legit good to watch. His, his nickname was Pig Nips. His nickname was Pig Nips. And yes, he's indeed. a beast. Yeah. I know he's listening. Good on you. That's one of, the, one of my favorite nicknames. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to have some feature about you that gets noticed in the dames because everyone's going to call you by some weird name. And the funny thing about him is he is super, he's a big guy and he's super intelligent. Yeah, yeah. Just a good, yeah. good guy everywhere you measure it. So we set this thing up in a window, in you know, inside, so just the barrel was sticking out. 
and uh, of, of the compound that we were holding, aiming right down the east-west road because our, our biggest fear is a, a, a vehicle-borne IED coming down that road. And along across that road, there was this, there was like a hedgerow and there was a little irrigation ditch over there. And so the Taliban kept coming down that hedgerow and firing at us from the trees and then just put that 50 on the tree line, stitch it like at shin level because that would be Chester a little bit high level for somebody in the ditch and just send a belt all the way down and back and then push them back further. Well, at one point, some guys had come up from a different direction and they were getting really, really close in this tree line. Bad guys. Bad guys, Taliban guys, and we could not traverse the gun over far enough. So we tried to shove it out the window. It wouldn't go out the window. So me and the EOD warrant officer who was with us and then uh, one of my E5s who right now he's a, a, a troop SEA over at one of the SEAL teams Check. drugged the thing out and put it in the street and just started laying it down. So we got the 50 cows set up in the street right out in front of our compound and for a second there we were taking heavy fire pretty heavy fire, PKM fire, but it was all going a little bit high and we just kept stitching, 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 and then they were done. Mm -hmm. They broke contact. They did not like that big gun. In fact, the next day it kind of slowed down for us because they didn't want to come, you know, they did, they're like, ah, we'll find a different direction because we were holding, you know, basically four square blocks. So they started penetrating in from, from different directions. Uh, then later on, two days later, guys pushed out to another building that was about 100 yards in front of the position, and they got into a little tick up there. So we started lighting up the area that we thought they were taking fire from, and the 50 cal was so loud that they thought that they were taking direct fire from the 50 cal when we were shooting. From so we, the rounds passing by them? From the rounds passing by them <laughs> were so loud and knocking dust off the wall. That's why I was saying. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in a building yeah. in you know that one situation that Tony was in where the, yeah. someone's lighting your building up with several hundred rounds. Yeah, no, the, the blue on blue situation, those guys put 150 rounds into, 150 rounds of 50 cal from I don't know 20 meters away. I mean Ooh. from the corner. It was a building on the corner and they stopped in the corner and just shot and uh, Those guys coming out of that building after we got the thing under control. I mean I kicked open the door I saw Tony there and and then but the and Tony looked Pretty much just like normal Tony. Yeah <laughs> Everyone else in that building looked like they just saw death and they actually just did see death I mean, yeah, they're in a building they get 150 rounds of 50 cal the guy that was on the roof, he was he 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 was telling me he was telling me this like a year ago, like we were just talking about. It, and he goes he goes yeah, I I got out my pistol. I 100% thought that we were going to get overrun and I was going to die if I didn't just take a round through the concrete into my head. Right. And yeah. So did they know it was blue and blue, or did they think that they no. were just getting hammered by no. it? It's just like the, holy well, cow. One of the one of the one of the many little like components of this. So that guy, the guy that was on the rooftop that I was talking to. Uh huh. 12 hours before he was in another position and he got lit up with a dishka a 12.7 millimeter you know weapon which is the soviet equivalent of the 50 cal for those of you that don't know 
he got lit up with that and hit with RPGs. So he said, I remember as soon as, you know, as soon as this was all over and we got back to base, he, he, that's another thing he told me, but he told me this way back then. He said, he said to himself, I can't believe the guy with the dishka found me again. <laughs> he was so, he was so, and we were only, you know, a couple days deployment. And, and that same guy, so when he got lit up, he was in this, he was in, a, he was on Camp Corregidor in an Overwatch position looking for ID and placers. He's sitting there on his sniper rifle and all of a sudden he starts taking machine gun fire and it's it's a dishka and then he gets hit with a couple RPGs. Well, I'm inside with the company commander from from the from one of the companies from the first of the five oh six and we were planning an operation that we were doing the next day. So we start hearing gunfire and all of a sudden we hear RPGs, boom, boom. And I said to him, the the machine gun fire starts and he goes, oh, it sounds like we're in contact. And I go, hey, my snipers are up there. Don't worry about it. Like just Jocko the badass, right? And all of a sudden, boom, boom. So we hear the RPGs hit. So we go running outside and I'm, I'm still just, I say, hey, don't worry. My guy's got this. And right as those words are coming out of my mouth, out of the bottom of the sniper tower, because we, we were right next to it, out of the bottom of the sniper tower, out pours that guy, uh-huh. who I'm sure will be on the podcast one day. He comes pouring out of the tower. His his weapon, his sniper gun had been blown, like the stock got blown off, bro, oh, by no. the RPG. And he, he just looks like, oh my God. And I said, <laughs> okay, well, maybe not. <laughs> It was horrible, but so that's the guy when they're getting when they're getting shot up with fifty cal. Yeah, he he just thought, and the rest of the guys too, because everyone knew that this had happened. You know, we briefed it. Hey, they hey, just imagine the the PLO going out to this. I'm saying, hey guys, these guys have Dishka twelve point seven millimeter, you know, anti aircraft gun out there. So be ready for some significant heavy weapons. And sure enough, that's the guy on the rooftop thinking to himself, I can't believe this guy with the, the Dishka found, found him me again. again. Yeah. Man, the, and and that was one of the big lessons learned when I got to trade at, where guys would put fifty rounds of fifty cal into a building with blanks, you know, simulating combat, and and then we'd have a trade at guy in there that would get up and shoot someone, and they'd be like, "That's bullshit," you know, yeah. that guy that that would never happen, and I'm like, "Oh yes, it would happen," you know, you we had guys survive twenty five millimeter chain gun. From from Bradley's and still stumble out of you know not friendlies right not 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 for me but but uh you know there was enemy that made it out of buildings that had whatever however many rounds a bunch of yeah. twenty five millimeter chain gun rounds coming out of the building or coming coming into your building and they'd still live so you don't know what's going to happen with bullets you know you just don't no. it's hard to tell and that yeah the the frustration and the blame casting that goes on in some of that training. We'll get into that that yeah, later. Yeah. But man, t- gosh, that that fifty cal is such a badass weapon. Yeah. Period. And then you know later on, we had those things mounted on our trucks, and uh, the the clearance of Mosul guys were stopping V bids that are completely armored with those things just hammering on them. But then it's on a Crow's remote system. Mm-hmm. And it does a number. That's just a beautiful it's, it's, thing. It's incredible that that gun was made in the early 1900s. Yeah, 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 for sure. John Browning. Yeah, that's an incredible weapon. Use the exact same weapon today. Yep. That's amazing. That's a feat of engineering. Someone was asking me when I posted uh, 
pictures of all the brass all over the floor of that room on mm-hmm. on Instagram. They're like, oh, did you have any jams? No, we know how to set our headspace and timing. Yeah. Got the gauge right there on it. Boom. That's, a, that's an awesome weapon. Now, uh, another one, you know, you were telling me another one about getting extracted in like a, like a, like a, like a Russian, like hip 17. So the, um, we went and did this operation in Zari Panjway, which is a really, really hot area. And we didn't like to drive anywhere because Afghanistan's limited, you know, it's limited roads. And so they're, IED threat was huge, plus there were culverts everywhere, so they would just pack all the a culvert full of explosives, Dude. and it could blow up like, you know, two uh, MRAPs yeah. and kill everybody. That, and uh, so we didn't have helicopter support for this one operation, but we were working with the DEA fast teams, and they had their own helo support, and they had these MI-17s, which are these, you know, Russian helicopters, mm-hmm. which are super durable helicopters, and uh, um, contracted, you know, American pilots in them, obviously. Oh, okay. That's cool. And uh, so they had this operation. They're like, hey, you guys want to go on it with us? So we're, you know, we're the main force on that, and it was during one of our turnover ops. It was actually the op after the – the, uh, when Dan lost his leg, so we did mm-hmm. two. And uh, get dropped off first thing in the morning, go in, clear two compounds, and we found a whole bunch of, uh, on that, there were fields and fields of marijuana around here. And then uh, on that operation, one of the compounds just had a, a whole bunch of hash. It was like huge burlap sacks of, of hash, and I think I think they said there was 200 pounds of it. They had it in the middle. They destroyed it. And so it was the typical thing that happened. Women and children left. Fighters came in. And then we were in, you know, a 360 firefight. And we're in the firefight. And over the radio, we're hearing from, from our aircraft overhead. They're saying, hey, there's a white van. And... It's dropping fighters off around you. So this white this white minivan is driving off, picking up fighters, and then driving a big circle around us and dropping off fighters. So this is like an hour later. Firefight. Blast that thing. I did. Okay. So this is the story. So about an hour later, there's they're like, hey, the white coming over because I'm I'm on dual com, so I can hear on the fires net and and that's like the other radio frequency outside of inter-squad comms for those of you who don't understand that is it's just one where the aircraft are talking and one where we're all talking and i'm on both of them and i can hear the aircraft saying that white van is back and so all of a sudden i'm looking straight north at 200 yards and i see a white van pull into the open and stop in you know in an alleyway so get on the radio where's that white van and is it directly north our position and the aircraft comes back yeah it just dropped off two guys and they're stopped they're looking at you right now crack 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 two rounds and then a 60 gunner just mows the thing down and they're just done <laughs> through well firefight just kept going now the mi-17s they can't fly after dark they didn't have some kind of certification mm-hmm. so they had to come in there and do a hot extract on that LZ to get us off. 
So there's there's bullets flying all over the place. We get stacked to set our breakout. So everyone's kind of broken down from their position. We still have security. They're, they're setting up the LZ. And then my job as the senior enlisted guy on my aircraft was I run out. I'm the first guy to the aircraft, and I count guys getting on, and I'm the last guy on that aircraft. So that aircraft isn't going until I have whatever number of people getting on it, getting on it. Everybody's piling on there. I got a full head count. I'm like, I got a full head count, and there's no seats for me. So I got to hop on the ramp and hook an arm through one of the guy's legs. My feet are dangling off the ramp as we take off. And then I'm shooting just half-ass from the hip because it's just cool. Just for fun. <laughs> just for fun. Just for the qual. Just for the qual, the apocalypse now qual, at, at uh, you know, a place we were taking fire from as we took off. And then we got out of there. It was a, it was a lot of fun. I'm going to stop short of saying it's awesome because I'm not going to use that word anymore, but it was pretty dang Wait, does great. that not merit an awesome right there? That sounds pretty yeah, awesome. it was. And no one got hurt? No one got wounded? <sighs> not on that one. Nope. Amazing. Like you said, all these bullets are flying around, and it's just incredible because just the laws of chance. Yeah. Well, those aircraft, too, you know, it's like um, those old school aircraft. Like when you read about the Vietnam guys, and I'm reading a book right now, those aircraft, they were flying these king. They they had Vietnamese pilots in these king B aircrafts. Uh And those things, the guy came back from one up. They had 48 holes in it been shot 48 times yep. and and this American SF guy's looking at the aircraft and he's looking at the pilot he's getting in like you were and he gets in and he, he's looking at this Vietnamese pilot and the Vietnamese pilot looks cool he's just like Roger and I got it's a great quote the guy says something along the lines of when I'm flying I'm just thinking about flying I'm not thinking about bad guys I'm not thinking about bullets I'm just flying my aircraft if it's my day it's my day period end of story but that coming in a hot extract like that that's sketch and those guys they they come in super fast and super less speeds speeds on their side and it is sketchy it's uh um i was in a random russian air a helicopter uh, a hip or what are you mi-17 i guess the 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 nato term is like a hip Uh but yeah i was in africa working and and that's like we needed to get somewhere and the only thing they could get us was he contracted Contracted helicopters, but there was, but it was contracted pilots too, and I was happy to land on that one. <laughs> yeah, th- those were a pretty common sight over in there in yeah. Afghanistan. A lot of the other other agencies yeah. were using those, and somebody had told me, and I don't know if this is true or not, that they were they were so inexpensive it wasn't worth doing the maintenance on them. So when they got to a maintenance schedule, they just destroy it and buy another one. That's crazy. Yeah, and, that, and and I I don't know if that's true. You know, that's something I heard from some guy over at the Chow Hall who yeah, who was so, well informed apparently. <laughs> but the, the, those pilots were so so good, and they you know they were all probably XTF one sixty guys that were now hired on by these other guys to do the job over there. I was incredible. So speaking of wounded, or in that case not wounded, but I, you were telling me a story about. Um, and I cut you off so you didn't tell it to me. Uh-huh. But you were telling me a story about a Taliban guy getting shot in the leg. Yeah. So last time I was telling you the story about th- last time I was telling you the story about the uh, 
the operation where we'd set pop flares out mm -hmm. because guys were, were able to get so close to us. And during that firefight, one of our firing positions up on a roof, they're like, hey, there was, there was someone that had circled around kind of behind our position when we weren't taking any fire for him. They were in, in, in the process of trying to flank us. They're like, hey, there's a guy back here and we just shot him. <laughs> we killed him. So stuff calmed down. And I talked to the TU commander. I'm like, hey, I'm going to press out with these two guys because it appeared as if it was like right around the corner, around this wall. And we're going to go see if, if the guy's got a radio on him or anything like that. So we push out of the compound and we loop around a wall, but it's not just one wall, it's several walls. Mm -hmm. And we get a little bit farther away. So we round the corner where the guy's supposed to be, and there's no dead guy at all, but there's a guy standing 30 yards away on a hill and he's shooting at me. So I have got, I'm patrolling with my scar heavy, but I'd folded the buttstock mm -hmm. like a dummy. <laughs> and cause I, you know, I thought that was a cool way to patrol. And so now I'm like, Oh no! I can't shoulder my yeah. my scar, so I just tried to lock it out on like the sling. Like we used to do with the MP5Ks. Yes, <laughs> I locked, just punch it out, dude. Just punch it, it out. out. Squeezed at him, missed him, and then it it had a stovepipe and a, a feed jam. So I just took a knee and started to reload, and then cleared the jam real quick. Started shooting him again, but he was gone. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he turned up again when. Uh, when we had when we went to do our extract the following day, we had to clear a couple buildings near where uh, uh, the helos were going to land, and then we found that same guy with his leg all bandaged up because they they didn't kill him; they just shot him in the leg. <laughs> and then we just wound up, you know, leaving him there. Well, so like, so was that the last time you patrolled with your scar heavy with the stock folded e in? Ever. <laughs> And then, you know, on another op, it was a, I learned the lesson of never taking off my body armor and helmet because oh, it was hot. Yeah. Yeah. What happened on that one? Oh, my goodness. So we were, um, it, it was an operation in Swally Cot where we'd taken high ground above a couple of compounds that we'd cleared. And the next day, the Talib, we, we'd gotten to the point, right, where we had, we'd started to get a little bit complacent. And all our engagements with the Taliban, we'd always had the upper hand against them. We'd uh, uh, completely, we had air power, we had better weapons, we were trained better. Yep. And on this operation, we had a, a piece of high ground right behind the compounds that we took. Was everyone wearing, was everyone using the ACOGs on their on their scars generally, or what were they using? Guys, variety of ACOGs. The snipers actually took the, yeah. the scopes off their SR-25s and put them on the, uh, the scar So heavies. everyone had, basically everyone had scopes, and so. Lots of them, and we had 300 Win Mag sniper yeah. rifles that we brought along on this I'm thing. just thinking mentally from the viewpoint of where the enemy's at, like you're reaching out and touching them accurately way further than they can get you. Pretty much. Sure. Which, which again, leans towards you thinking to yourself, we're gonna kick these guys ass every time. Yep. And, and then you did kick their ass a bunch of times. And, and and so then these guys start to take high ground all around our positions. And we can see a guy pushing out with a PKM onto this flat ledge of rock. He's 1,100 yards away. And we're shooting at him with a 300 wind mag, but it's windy. 
and and we're missing, we're missing close. And he'd go back and then come back out, go back, come back out. And they were getting set up all around us. And then they just brought it. They let us go with a salvo of uh, um, rocket-propelled grenades and then just steady PKM fire. And we thought, they're 1,000 yards out. They really can't do that much. Oh, it's, you know, 105 degrees out, so we'll take our body armor and helmets off. And then they just laid the hammer down. Luckily for me... I happened to be right on top of my body armor and helmet because mm. I was in the, in the prone position, and then I just was able to snake into my body armor and get my helmet back on my head. And, you know, in, in this, this is a position where this is the first time we'd been somewhere where we couldn't fill sandbags, so we just stacked a bunch of rocks as best we could to make a fighting position, and the bullets were just steadily hammering the rocks mm. and hammering the rocks and hammering the rocks, and I was thinking, man alive. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get shot, and I'm, I wonder if it's going to hurt, but it's definitely going to happen. The odds are uh, odds are there, and somehow I didn't. And then uh, then the B, a B-1 bomber came on station and dropped a whole bunch of ordnance and laid the hammer down. But a- after that, and I ran out of water. We all ran out of water up on this high ground position. It was like 112, 14 degrees at 2 in the afternoon. We ran underwater, and there was no getting any water until uh, – that night when the sun went down. Did you listen to that podcast with Ron Schurer on? I'm sure I did. Yeah, the SF guy, Medal of Honor recipient. But if you go watch the videos oh, of that. Yeah. Yeah. The, like the castle that they're attacking. That's crazy. It's just straight uphill. I was just, I couldn't believe that. I, I, when I, when I, as I was reading, like, I was reading a bunch of articles about the situation. Yeah. And, I was, and then they kept talking about video. And I said, oh, you know, check out YouTube. And I saw it and I, co- <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And the way he described it, it was just incredible. Yeah. He just laid it out there. He's like, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. Boom, boom, He's boom. so understated. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's like, well, you know, it was a little bit of a hill. Yeah. And there was a pretty big <laughs> building. I'm like, it was a cliff. <laughs> and there was a castle on top of the cliff, bro. <laughs> Well, what a freaking awesome guy. You know, another thing that we were talking about, and you made, obviously, and this is getting, leaving Afghanistan, but it's getting back early in your career, when you were, when you failed the stalking section of sniper school, and then mm-hmm. you went back, and you, and you, you know, you obviously made it through, you passed the, the, the stalking section, and you kind of touched on it when you were on last time, but I was wondering, like, a little bit more granularity on what you changed that you went from failing the stocks to all right here's here's me knocking out whatever a 10 yeah and and it comes down to basically doing what i'd been taught and 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 people were telling me is that you start the stock you're told to find the op which is you know 1200 yards away and the first thing you've got to do is figure out where that OP is. Uh, observe, and OP is an observation point, and that's where the, the guys that are grading you on the stock who are other sniper instructors, that's where they're at. And you you take that this model, and I, I was just thinking how it applies to problem solving basically across the board, where, okay, I need to find a goal in my future here somewhere. In this case, it's the stock. And then before I start executing on moving toward that that goal, 
going to find that OP, I need to take some time and study the terrain and see what my you know, line of attack is going to be and how I'm going to move all the way up to where, to where I'm going to go. And then I need to put it into action. And while I'm putting into action, I'm constantly reassessing that goal and adjusting my actions across the way. And that, when I went from that model, I went from, you know, failing stocks to being the first one done, hardly spending any time on my belly and doing that. So then you take that and you apply it to life. And you think about just goal setting, where do do I want to be in five years? Mm -hmm. And identify it and then say, okay, do a little research. How do I get there? And then get on that damn path, stay disciplined, and then just keep the eye on the target and keep adjusting your aim as you go. And I can look back at times in my life where really I wasn't paying attention. I'm really just treading water, you know? living paycheck to paycheck, doing mm-hmm. whatever. And now, you know, I take take that model and I apply it to where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want, want my kids to be? What kind of parent do I want to be? And how am I going to get there? And what's the path I'm going to lay out for it? Yeah, and it's from a leadership perspective, obviously this applies. Because from a leadership perspective, if you're, and I was just on Peter Atia's podcast, and we were talking about a little bit about that. Strategic framework tactical, yeah, right? I yeah. listened to that this morning. And, and and you know what I said to him that where it first started to occur to me that was, hey, if my guys don't know what it is that we're trying to accomplish, they can't make it they can't they can't move in the, sure I can tell them move eight yards forward and then they can't hear me anymore. Now what they're gonna wait for me to get wherever they are. I can say, hey, go take that building right there. Well, now they can't hear me anymore, so now what are they going to do? They're going to sit there and wait for me to come up and tell them to do something else? No, they need to know what we're trying to get accomplished. And then they need to have this, the, the standard operating procedures down well enough so they and the parameters that they're allowed to maneuver within, and that allows us to actually accomplish the mission. And that's something I think I, I – I mean, I don't even know when I learned that, but without that strategic objective and, – and that's a strong word, okay? I get it. I, I get strategic. I get what it means, and I'm not talking about, you know, global warfare, but – when you're in a town and you have a, a mission objective that, okay, we're gonna get to this building or we're gonna move to this area or we're gonna take this piece of terrain and everybody knows that. And even when those things change, because as you know, you get into a contact or you get into a situation where you change what you're doing. You have to let everyone know that, hey, we're breaking contact, we're getting out of here. Hey, we're going to strong point this building or whatever. Once everybody knows that, then they can act on it, then they can carry it out. Same same thing that w- of what you're talking about there. Now, on a bigger picture, of course, it still applies on a bigger picture. If, if your troops in the field don't know what it is you're trying to achieve, then they make bad decisions. If they don't know that you're trying to protect the populace, if they don't know that that's a broad strategy, then they get out there and treat the, the populace, they, they act like idiots. If they know that's what they're trying to do, then they make better, de- I'm not saying they make perfect decisions, because they don't, but they'll make better decisions because they understand what that broad strategy is. And it's certainly the same thing in business. And with business, it goes back and forth too. Because business, sometimes in business, you're, you know, I run into it with businesses where they're, for instance, trying to go public. So they need to make money every quarter. They need to show that profitability increase. And so the biggest thing they got on their mind is trying to show a good quarter. And they'll sacrifice some strategic things like they'll sacrifice a little bit of taking care of a customer 
because they want to scrape a little more money out of it, out of the situation. That's a bad strategic play, but they do it short term at the time because they know they got to make more money in the quarter so they can come back and reinvest more. So, but everybody's got to know that because if everyone thinks, hey, hey, the number one thing is we we never let our customers down. Okay, guess what? We lost money this quarter. Now we now we can't go public because we. And again, this is a really. Uh, kindergarten level examples, but that's the kind of thing where what you're talking about, if people don't understand what that longer term goal is, then they can't really operate and function on their own, which is a problem. No, and you're not thinking long term. You're just thinking day to day, basically. Yeah, Yeah. I kind of went off at the muster on that one kid that asked me, how often are you thinking strategically and how often are you thinking tactically? And, you know, I just kind of was going off about, look, man, every single thing I do is strategic. I'm not making any tactical moves. I'm not, I'm not worried about the tactical wins and losses. Now, there's a reason for that. I'm in a good spot right now where a little tactical loss doesn't mean that much to me right now. And it's really easy for me to just focus on the strategic stuff. You know, when I was younger, I had to focus more on some tactical things. You know, that's the way it is. But even as a young person, you got to keep that straight. You know, you might have to take some tactical. You might have to. You might have to make some adjustments and win some short-term battles, just because that's the way it is. But you should be thinking tactics all the time. Or sorry, you should be thinking strategy all the time. You should be thinking long game all the time, all the time. Thinking about the long game all the time. Thinking about how is this decision affect where I'm going to be in the long term? Because the short-term decisions, those are the ones that beat you down. Yeah, if you're not play that long game. nested inside that long-term goal, you know, strategy. Yeah. Yeah, I I actually kind of appreciated that he brought that up. Oh, totally. It was a good morning. question. He was a and he was a younger guy. And you could see he's thinking, you know, he probably th- he probably thought to himself, "Hey, it seems like Jocko keeps talking about the long game." And he thought to himself, "How often is Jocko thinking about that?" And so yeah. he asked the question, "Good on him." So I could explain, "I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm thinking about it all the time." That's the way you got to do it, and and Peter Atia as well, for bringing that the, the whole framework of the bringing the whole framework and everything up. Yeah, 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 on for that sure. Aspect of that because I was sure. listening to that this morning. And I'm like, yeah, this lays. That's the same thing that makes you successful on a stock, choosing that goal and then working your way to it, doing your, you know, and y- you got to watch out for the situation where you get paralysis by analysis, mm-hmm. or and. That's caught up by the, you got a time limit on a stock. Okay, you got three hours to get this done, so you got to get it figured out and you got to get moving. Or I, I think a lot of people will fall into that trap where they do too much study, too too much study. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. then they're not oh, you're talking no about action in life, in life oh, in general, for sure. And in, in stocks, guys will run out of time. I said something the other day. Uh, most things don't get finished because most things don't get started. And people don't even start. People don't even make that move. Right. Of course, hey, guess what? Big shocker, there's a dichotomy. And that's the bottom line. There's mm-hmm. a dichotomy. If you rush into it and you start moving without having a long-term plan, you're probably going to make a bad move. If you take too long, you're going to wait too long and the whole world's going to pass you by. Yep. So you have to constantly modulate and figure out where you're at. And no one's going to be able to give you the answer. I can't sit here and be like, oh, you know what you want to do right there? You want to make this? No, no one's gonna be sitting there telling you that day by day. You've got to figure that out, and you've got to figure out if it's really, really moving you in the right direction. Yeah, the way it's got to be. When you were talking about coming back to trade it, and 
you know, you and I both had the 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 luck to be at trade at in the positions we were in. I was the I was the trade at OIC. You were the trade at CMC. Mm-hmm. So basically, we were the senior dudes. We weren't together, unfortunately. But what a good job, and what a good opportunity to see how things unfold, and what a good opportunity to take these standard operating procedures and pressure test them. You, exactly. So I, w- I was hit up the other day in a brief where I was talking about when I was there as a troop SEA and we did our first FTX and you had just tra- changed training to where we, bef- prior to that, and every time I'd been through land warfare prior to coming through as, as, a, as a troop senior enlisted advisor in 2008, our FTXs were all live fire. Great. Mm-hmm. Live fire is cool, but it's so canned yep. because it has to be for safety that it really doesn't put any pressure on the leadership and, and there's not really any pressure brought to bear on any of your SOPs. Yeah. To, to put this simply to everyone, when you're in a gunfight, there's two horrible things that the enemy will do. They will shoot at you and they will maneuver. And when you're using live fire for training, your enemy is a bunch of paper targets. At best, they're mounted on those little carts that can move around, but they're very, very limited, not, not even remotely close to what a human being is gonna do. So when you're going with live fire, your enemy neither shoots back at you, nor do they maneuver. So in the SEAL teams, we would destroy our paper targets all the time. We would crush them all the time, relentlessly. We would outmaneuver them, because they couldn't move. We would outshoot them, because they didn't shoot. So it was pretty easy to dominate. And sure, there was that level of of stress, of the fact that it is live fire. And when you're out, like in, in the desert, you are, and you and you do do, and we still do this, where you have to shift fire, and you're walking, and you're, you know, you're, you're making sure that you're safe, because you can't, you know, you can, you can shoot each other. But that type of stress compared to the stress of, okay, now the enemy, we're using, we're using laser tag guns or paintball, and the enemy is full-on maneuvering. They're full-on shooting back at us. That's a, that's a big step up. Yeah, and so we just completely epically failed that first operation. And we took a hard look at the four biggest things we did wrong and identified where our standard operating procedures were flawed. And then we sat down with our leadership and we got input and started to mod- modify those SOPs to, so we, we could build up standard operating procedures that were resilient enough to withstand all the pressure that you guys were putting on us in training. And uh, someone asked me at, at, at a, a, a keynote I was given the other day, like, well, didn't you guys have SOPs prior to that? And we absolutely did but they weren't good good enough because they couldn't withstand the pressure so they had to be modified we had to modify the way we were doing sops for getting head counts we had to modify how we were dealing with our down men like honestly we weren't carrying litters around mm-hmm. we weren't but it's it's just an absolute abject disaster if you get a wounded guy sure i can drag him off the x yep. but now if i patch him up and I gotta throw him over my shoulder again. I'm gonna blow out every bandage I just put on him. That's stupid, you know. Um, our radio comms going with, when everything is confusing. We had to fix that. So we had to dial those SOPs in, the standard operating procedures, and 
the beauty of, of Tradet is that as stuff is happening on the battlefield, we immediately modify that in the training and we're putting that on top of the guys in training so they can see if their standard operating procedures are good to go or if they're flawed and they need to be modified so we can constantly modify if people are honest about them. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of the the basically the the petri dish or the lab that we had out there at Tradet cuz the other thing is we could see when when people were being honest about their mistakes or when guys were were blame casting and not taking ownership of what was going on and uh and not being honest with their SOPs and then you just develop these SOPs like they don't just apply to the battlefield. We came up with standard operating procedures for, uh, you know, how we did our admin stuff, how we dealt with with anything that you can think of. We would think of a good way to do it and then test it and then run through it. So, you know, you might not like this this analogy, but I think that SOPs kind of are a life hack because it is one of those things that you can lay there in. There is no hack. <laughs> I know, except for the standard operating procedure is pretty dang close to one. Yeah, you know what's, as you were, as you were talking about that, <clears throat> one thing that I definitely noticed is the, you could have almost 90% of the time that you use the word modify our SOP, you could have used the word simplify because most of the time it was someone saying, Hey, we got this crazy. We this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna do this, and you're gonna do that, and there's all these crazy things. And they realize that doesn't work, so you make it simpler and simpler. Now, where that's counterintuitive is like in extreme ownership, where I talked about doing SSE. And when we first started doing SSE, the plan was real simple: just smash everything and just take whatever you'd find, right? Mm-hmm. But that was a horrible plan, and it didn't work. So we had to we had to put something that was a little bit more looked on the surface to be a little bit more complex, even though when you broke down the individual human beings and what they were doing, it was very straightforward and very simple. So, so yeah, yeah, no, there's no doubt that having that opportunity to watch SOPs get tested and either pass or fail, and it was so obvious either way, because it was so cool when the platoons and the task units would start to work together and they'd start to cover and move for each other and they'd start to use decentralized command, they would, they would crush the trade at guys. Or they would, Absolutely. At, they would at least get the best of them. They'd at least kill them all. Mm-hmm. Whereas when they're not doing it, it would be comical. Four trade <laughs> guys would kill 40 guys or whatever it was. And you'd just be thinking, hmm. And, 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 and you're right. This is where you'd have ego problems would show up. Because guys would think, and, and it was so hard from, from my perspective, from your perspective, when you're like, listen, the, the trade cadre is going to do the same, they did the same thing to the last nine troops or the last five troops. They did this exact same scenario and and the other troops used simple standard operating procedures, they covered a move, they used decentralized command and they, they won. Mm-hmm. Here's what you're doing, this is from my perspective and I know it's hard, but what you're doing is you're trying to control everyone or what you're doing is you've got these, these standard operating procedures that are too complicated or you're not prioritizing and executing, you're just, you're, you're, you've gotta follow these simple rules and it would be hard to convey to some guys if the guys wanted to put up their ego barrier and, and let it offend them and think that would never happen or no, that's just the trade at guys knew what we were gonna do. Yeah, the trade at guys know what you're gonna do. You know what? You're attacking a target area. Anyone, any, any military mind in the world is gonna get the high ground 
and then they're gonna sweep through, if they can, from high ground to low ground. That's what that's what everyone's gonna do. It's not like the trade guys, they, anybody could figure that out. Any, any military mind is gonna look at a target and do it one of three ways, or one of four ways, and 50% of those four ways actually is gonna overlap. So you don't have to be a freaking rocket science or scientist or, 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 or Napoleon to be able to figure out, okay, here's the target. Where do I think the SEALs are gonna come in from? It's like, oh, okay, they're probably gonna come in from here. I'll set up two guys there. There's also a chance they're gonna come in from over here. Cool, I'll put two guys over there. There you go. We knew, you knew our plan. It's like, yeah, bro, the enemy is, it's like you talked about. You had situations where you went in and you're like, oh, we'll, we'll go get on the high ground. Oh, the, the, the enemy put IEDs there. Yeah, guess what? It doesn't take a rocket science to figure out, oh, if you're gonna assault us here, you're probably gonna want to get this piece of, this piece of terrain over here. So that would offend guys and they'd get into the, hey, this is, this is wrong. And instead of saying, okay, what did I do wrong? Can you just, can you just tell me what I did wrong again? Because I'm not sure I understand it. Oh, well, what you did is this. You didn't prioritize next year. You didn't use decentralized command. And they would just, if you're not gonna listen to that, you know, it's a problem. I had a guy at the muster just asking me about like, how do you handle it when someone really picks you apart on a debrief? And I'm like, bro, you know how I handle that? I, what I do is I look them right in the eye and I say, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. Please, thank you, and, and I appreciate it. And I'm gonna go look at what you just told me, and I'm gonna try and figure out if I can fix it. Because otherwise, th- like you, you just, I could see it in this guy's eyes. Like He's asking me that question because his ego is getting offended. I, so and everyone's ego gets offended. Mine gets, I get offended when somebody tells me that. When somebody gives me the nine big debrief points on what I did wrong, I'm freaking mad. I don't wanna make mistakes. I have an ego just like everyone else, if not a freaking larger ego than anyone else. And when somebody tells me I did nine things wrong, I'm pissed, I'm pissed at myself, and it's really easy for me to look at you and get pissed at you for telling me that I screwed this up. But instead, I've gotten old enough to realize, even if I don't like you, it's even harder if I don't like you. It's even harder, when I don't like you, it's even harder, right? That's what makes it super hard. But when you go, you know what? You bite down and you go, okay, thank you. Let me assess what you just told me. If you could make that little step up in your life, it's epic, and when guys would, to your point, when guys wouldn't make that step in, that step up in coming through the trade at training, it would be a nightmare. It was a nightmare, and the thing is, man, like, I love all these team guys. I want them to go kick ass. I, that's all I wanted, was them to like go do great things on deployment, and when you get that, the guy coming through that just would be offended by it, and I'd, I'd be so bummed out. I'd, you know, I'd just, I'd be so bummed out. I'd be like, bro, I, I just want you to do good. I'm just telling you, like, don't focus on a head count when you're in the firefight. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And then, then you, you get to the point where you're just like, oh, man, you're not going to get it. Now I'm just going to make you suffer. Yeah. But the, because I, I, you get, you'll get critique points where guys will say, hey, we need to get an op so we can go start to finish where you let us win, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're playing football and your college team goes against a high school team, that's not challenging for anybody, and you're not going to really learn anything yeah, out of it. And that's, you don't learn anything. That's yeah. why I gave you a walkthrough. And so after seeing that so many times and running land warfare, I started going out at the front 
day one and saying, hey guys, listen, you're gonna get a walkthrough. That's your time to work through your whole script on how you're gonna run a target assault. But I'm shortchanging you if I'm not putting pressure on you when we have these FTX nights, because we only have this place for a limited period of time, and this is where you're gonna find where your weak points are and get better. And then knowing about myself when I have those two voices arguing in my head, the one that's my ego, and it's making an excuse for everything that you're that someone is who's debriefing me is picking apart. Mm -hmm. And the other reasonable voice, which I'm trying to turn the volume up on, um, that's going, oh yeah, that's a fair critique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I got a little lazy there. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't have taken my body armor off. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that kind of stuff. Or, or the worst was like the OIC that would come out after you were OIC. Mm -hmm. And he, he, if he came out to training and he would find some stuff that was screwed up and he's like, why am I the one fixing it? And I'm like, you are exactly right. And guys would get angry. He's like, he comes out here and he calls us out. He goes, we, we deserve it. Mm -hmm. Let's not do this ever again. We cannot have our boss coming out here and looking at how we're running training and calling us out. And, and a lot of it was, I'll give you an example. Go out to an IADS range and a platoon has decided to have their 60 gunner walk point because that's gonna work good for an immediate action drill. Mm -hmm. But that's not what you're really gonna do. Yeah. That's patrol to contact. That's not what we're training in an immediate action drill when mm -hmm. we're training for a sucker punch. And he's like, what in the wide world of sports is going on here? <laughs> and we'd be like, yeah, but guys wouldn't wanna tell the platoon be one of these small things mm -hmm. where, and, and the, the, I failed in this in, in, in leadership a lot of times where it's just like, oh, I'll just let that slide. I'll mm -hmm. just let that, and pretty soon everything's sliding and you're not really giving people any guidance. But uh, um, yeah, people come, you gotta be honest with the critique and look at it and then move forward. And at the end of the day, you always kind of know when you're wrong and it, to take ownership of it, you feel better about it because now you have power over it yeah. right and then nice. it's like oh if i think that the the trade at staff is cheating now i'm powerless against it and mm. it's just kind yeah, of a stressor that do. i'm dealing exactly they're just gonna win it doesn't matter blah blah and then it's <laughs> it's also on the, on a trade at it's and it's difficult to to debrief people and not come off as condescending that's a real skill and that's the, some guys are really good at that. And that's something I try to work on. And I, 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 I'm not perfect at it, but to, to give people constructive criticism in a manner that they'll accept it. Yeah. That it doesn't one feel of like I'm poking them in the One of the things that's hard about that in trade ed is you don't really have a good relationship with 50% of the guys that are coming through. So some guys that come through, like when you're coming through, I'm like, hey, bro, like we, I could just like be pretty straight up with you. Yeah. Some guys I don't really know you and you're from like a different team and I never worked with you before. So I have no sort of sort of relationship and then it's harder you know to say hey man that was a really bad job <laughs> you know now i i don't know i what i i what i ended up doing at trade at was i would just be like hey this is what happened you know and by the way i recorded mm -hmm. you on my audio thing like i would carry a little voice recorder and then when people would be panicking or freaking out i would record them and i'd say you were kind of freaking out out there and they'd say like, no, i wasn't freaking out I'd be like okay listen to this Everybody needs to get everybody. Like, does that sound like freaking out to you? Is that your calm voice? <laughs> so, the, and yeah. the other fun thing about the ditz gear, 
was you could hit them with the near miss because if they mm-hmm. got killed, they would get now drugged through the <laughs> desert by their ankle. Yeah. And uh, guys didn't want to die, so they still weren't as honest about fire yeah. as they could be, but they would yeah. still like – my favorite thing to do would be – Put the God gun, which is just a regular thing I had as a lane grader, on near miss. And if guys were screwing around, like they they would not, you know, they'd all be standing up in a perimeter where they shouldn't be standing, and I would just near miss them all. Guys would just dive. dive. Yeah. It dive was like into real walls. rounds. It was like legitimate real rounds were coming out of when they'd hear that near missing because they didn't want to get drugged through the desert for freaking two kilometers to the extract point have all their gear be beat up and bruised and, and gone punished all their whoever has to carry you is just getting completely punished i can't feel my face man i can't feel my face yeah well how are them younger guys coming out you know everyone talks about the big millennials and i'm i from what i've seen when i when i've talked to the teams and when i've gone out to some training sites guys are awesome I think across the board they are. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've looked at all all the new guys and the the quality of the new guys now <sighs> compared to who I was. Yeah, I'm not sure I could have made it through training if studs. I was compared against all the guys now. They're smart, they're motivated, and they're hard. Yeah, and uh, they're only coming in because they want to go to war. I mean, yeah, because sure. that's a given. Yeah, did I want to go to war? Absolutely, but it wasn't a known thing. And I, I got to admit that I kind of thought it was. I thought like, oh, I'm going to Nam. <laughs> yeah, that was. I, I thought that I, for I sure too. I thought I was going to Nam in 1991 when yeah. I got to the team. But yeah, these guys know for a fact. I mean, they 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 see they they see you know memorial services on TV. They know what's what they're getting into for sure. And the the complaints. The complaints about the millennials that I hear are that, oh, they want to know why they're doing something. Well, duh. Yeah. You know, and you just covered that in that that document that was written after World War II that says, hey, guess what? You need to tell guys why they're doing yeah. something, uh, yeah. or they're not going to be the most effective. And it, I, I, it's generationally, generationally, it's just more blame casting where people are whining about the next generation. Yeah. It goes back forever. That's just normal, right? I think it's one of those normal yeah. whiny things that you got to be. The young guys suck. Uh-huh. No, the, they don't. You suck. <laughs> when I was at one of the, the the leadership courses with some regular Navy leadership, and one of the master chiefs was telling a story that she had uh, an E5, and she worked in, in, in supply, and she's like, hey, I need you to go do the inventory today. And – She's checks back, comes back like an hour and a half later, and uh, the guy had to go inventory this whole warehouse. And he's hanging out in the coffee lounge an hour and a half later, and she's like, hey, what, what the heck is going on here? He's like, I did the inventory. And she's like, no way. That takes all day. Let's spot check it. Spot checks, randomly pulls up a couple of items off that inventory list, checks it. She's like, how did you do this? And... He's like, well, you know, I got this app reader on my phone and I just went and scanned all the barcodes, he used his phone mm-hmm. and completed the inventory like that with a little bit of ingenuity. Mm-hmm. And so basically she just told him the end state and got out of his way. It was by accident, yeah, yeah. but she got out of his way and let him figure out how something to do it and then then went with it. 
Nothing wrong with that. Nope. What about for you, as you've gotten older, what kind of mindset changes have you gone through where, like I just kind of talked about one from my perspective, you know, as I got older, I see, see different things. And I always try and make that perfectly clear to everyone that, you know, I kind of, you know, I learned. <laughs> I learned and I'm still learning. And so, you know, would you, what, 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 like, were some things that if you could have learned or changed your, your mentality on earlier, like what? Yeah, I mean, shutting down the ego, yeah. uh, 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 you know, uh, a lot of my growth, honestly, is being married to Iris and is 100% responsible for her. And, and <laughs> she just shuts down your ego, <laughs> shuts my ego down, but then has honest conversations about, well, what are you really thinking here? And then, you know, actually listening to what someone's saying, because the, the trap I used to fall into was when someone was talking to me, I wasn't really listening to them. I was just formulating what I was gonna say back to them. <laughs> formulating your counterpunch. Exactly, yeah. and, and I probably score uh, high in trait disagreeableness. Yeah. So, you know, it's just my nature to want to be at that point of friction, but that also makes me just, you know, want to go stick my finger in people's eyes and offend them and stuff like that. And so stepping back and opening my mind up to other points of view um, and then being a little bit more cognizant of other people and how they're reacting to me so I can adjust how I interact mm -hmm. with them relationship-wise. I don't know if you remember this question that the muster guide asked, hey, what what do you do when you, how do you deal with someone who's super negative and about, you know, the, 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 the team or whatever? And, you know, I said, here's a really good leadership technique that you can use, it's very complicated. It's called listen. How about you listen to them? How about you actually listen to what people are saying? Somebody feels really negative about my team, guess what, I wanna know why. I wanna actually hear their explanation as to why they're being super negative. And by the way, when you allow someone to voice their opinion and you listen to them carefully instead of formulating a counterpunch, which is what our instinct is to do, if instead you go, hmm, okay, well, what's wrong, Jason? What, I mean, what's, what's the problem over here? I actually wanna listen to you, I wanna hear what you have to say, and that is such an advantage as a leader instead of always feeling like, hey, anybody that steps to me is getting crushed. Like, no, actually, anybody that steps to me is gonna teach me something, and I'm, I'm happy to hear it. Yeah, boom. <laughs> it, 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 and then just being aware of, you know, my biases. Yeah. My biases, and, and then I find this a lot of times with the dang media, presses the heck out of my buttons, and so, <laughs> I, I, I got to the point where I just, I don't watch the news anymore yeah. because the news is, is hard. It, it's there to get you angry so you'll pay attention to it and gets them better ratings. Yeah. And a lot of times when I'll see some really extreme things that they're claiming people said, when I dig into it, when I actually take the time to dig into it, it's yeah. like not quite what it was. And now that I've become a lot more introspective, and so I'm paying attention to how things make me react. I'm paying attention to when my face flushes out or I grip and I'm like, oh, okay, now it's time to detach and step back. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that that's just like, it's not, not a positive, positive, you know, 
thing in my life to have my blood pressure spiked again and again and again and again because I've got a 24-hour news feed coming in. Yeah. And so uh, another team guy pointed this out to me. He's like, hey, I was talking about the news and I was all angry about something. And he's like, you know what? I quit watching the news. And he goes, I'm a lot happier since I stopped watching the news. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course it matters. But he planted a little seed and watered it. And yeah. then I'm like, okay, I'm going to quit watching the news. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't <clears throat> matter. And I was to the point where I'll just check the news like first thing in the morning to make yeah. sure a volcano went off. Right, right. Now I don't even do that. Yeah. If there's a volcano going off, I'll see the smoke or someone will tell yeah. me. Yeah, you're going to find out about it. The, the 24-hour news cycle is filled with a lot of things that you don't need to know. You don't need to know at all. And that's, that's kind of the way I am. I mean... I still look at it, but it doesn't. It, I'm completely. I, I can look at. I can look at 19 headlines in a row, and none of them have any remote impact on my mentality at all. Until I see one that says, "Oh, there was a terror bombing here," and I go, oh, "Okay, let's see what's going on." Or, "Hey, there was a U.S. serviceman killed here," and I'm like, "Oh, okay." But every other of the 17 headlines that I read that were, um, I'm trying to think of a good one right now because there's just you know. Everything is going down, and you're like, oh, "Okay, fine, yeah, no, everything's not going down. The world isn't going to end." But it's like, clickbait, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, I'm, I, and I, you guys are the first ones I heard use that word. I'm like, "Oh, that's what that is." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where this is exactly what it's going on. Clickbait, but it's just clickbait on the TV to get you to dial in and get them higher oh, ratings. Yeah. And then you got to listen to that Sam Harris, and I forget the female's name that was on, but she did this whole research about it. Talking about how the Russian, the Russian, bots. the Russian bots and all that stuff. And yeah, you can create headlines that are going to make people click. And then you can make fictional random, you can just make up stories. I know. And peep, they'll catch, you know, someone else will report that story as being true. It's a crazy world. The Onion is yeah. that joke newspaper. Yeah, and they've yeah, gotten sure. the AP has picked their stuff up like two or three times yeah. before. Totally nuts. So you got to learn. You should definitely, at a minimum, learn to detach when you read the news. Yeah, and then uh, something that I found real helpful is, is is putting a filter on my thoughts. So the and and this is something that that Iris has kind of talked about. She's like, the first filter is, am I whining? <laughs> and then the second filter is, am I resentful? And then the third filter is. Am I jealous? And if I can just catch that stuff, once I identify it, it doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah. But prior to identifying it, if I'm just like, oh, so-and-so just got a promotion, oh, that's bullshit. He, you know, and then, then I realize, oh, wait a minute. I should be happy for him for getting that promotion. Uh, and Jordan Peterson says something about be careful who you share good news with. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I just don't. That's not a. That's not something I, I. I. I'm proud of when I see it come up in myself, and that's one of the things that. That as I age, I'm. I'm trying to fix the other thing that. That as I've gotten older, is I used to be very group identified, mm -hmm. and now I find myself becoming more of an individual. If that makes sense. No, that makes yes. that makes sense. And yeah, I and this this is that's where I'm trying to go, and this is this is the path that uh, that I'm on, and it's a it's a struggle, and it all comes down, and I, I kind of wish there was two words for ego, right? Because the ego 
if I didn't have an ego driving me sure. to be better, yeah, I I would just be sitting at home eating chocolate chip cookies on right. the, on the couch. Right. There's not two words to describe ego, but there is the dichotomy of that ego. There is, and so then you're good to go. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, one of my team guy buddies a long time ago <laughs> used this phrase, which I which I always remembered because I thought it was really good. Basically, someone was whining about something. And you know, you know, raised their hand and said, "Well, you know, why are we doing this?" And then afterwards, my buddy goes, "Hey, that's cool. Put yourself on report for being a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I've been hypersensitive to that for a real long time. I do not ever, you know, I don't care what I'm going through. I, I will not complain about anything. Like, I am hypersensitive about that. At least I, I try to be. I mean, yep. You know, cold. Not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything. Uh, you know, hurt. Like I hurt my knee, mm-hmm. and I, I my knee was all swollen up, all jacked up, and I didn't tell anyone. I told, hey, I injured my knee, no, no factor. And finally, Leif was like, hey, you know, what's up with your knee? I sent him a picture, <laughs> like the knee is just <laughs> twice as big as the other one. He's like, oh my god, are you gonna need surgery? I'm like, no, no factor. But and I only sent it to him like six or seven days. The swelling had gone down. But out of the gate, I wasn't gonna say anything because I don't I don't want to sit there and complain. Like, bro, I hurt my knee doing jujitsu. Oh no, you know what I mean? Like, yes. come on, bro. I'm not gonna complain about that. Uh, but yeah, those other things about being resentful and being jealous. Whenever I feel that tinge of, when I feel that tinge of jealousy, when I feel that tinge of, when I feel like when I feel like mad at someone for doing something, I automatically know it's me. I automatically, and I've known that for years. There was a stoner, as a matter of fact, was going to, he wanted to go to Princeton. Mm-hmm. And he he said to me, he, he and he, I wasn't, we weren't, we weren't together at Team 3 anymore, and so he was talking to some people, and finally he comes to me and he says, hey man, I wanna go to Princeton, I wanna put together this package and go to Princeton. He said, but uh, some of the other people I'm talking to are telling me it'd be bad for my career. And I'm like, bro, those guys are just jealous. Uh, that's not happening. I go, you go and you get your freaking degree from Princeton. Are you kidding me? How is that going to be bad for? And he did. He ended up doing it. And he yeah. got, he got in. He got accepted. And but that was one of those things where I, it was so obvious to me. Like whoever told you that is just telling you that because they don't want you to get, have have another punk card to pull on you. Because like, hey, you're stoner. You're you know. You got a bunch of combat experience. You got a bunch of combat awards. You're you're this big strapping dude. And by the way, you're going to go to Princeton. Like no one wanted that final punk card to be issued to Stoner. It's hard when you see someone else that's successful and you know that like I should be getting up off my ass and getting into Princeton myself or going and you know the, you can't control whether or not you're deployed to combat. But yep, a lot yep. of the other stuff is, and and I think that's where it gets painful for guys. It's like, okay, well, I'm not going to make the effort, so I don't want anybody else to make the effort either. I'm a crab in this bucket, and I'm going to drag that crab that's trying to climb out yeah. back in the bucket. Uh, uh, and this is actually in Way of the Warrior Kid 3. This is why I had to address this, which in Way of the Warrior Kid 3, you have, have you read it yet? Not yet. So in Way of the Warrior Kid, there's a new character that comes. His name is Danny Reinhardt, mm-hmm. and he's, like, good at everything. He's yep. better at Mark than ever, at everything. He's like a little bit smarter, does better on the tests in school, and he's a little bit faster, and he can do more pull-ups. And then, the, like, to take the cake, because he's a new kid, moves in, and and Mark still thinks he's got the ultimate punk card to pull, which is, 
I do jujitsu and I can choke you so none of the other stuff matters. It uh-huh. turns out Danny Reinhardt's been training for two more years. <laughs> and and that's exactly what happens is Mark, instead of saying, wow, I can learn from you. Wow, you can help me. Wow, uh, that's awesome. I know you worked hard for that. Instead, he just tries to undermine and he just is jealous. And so that's something that you deal with when you're starting to be, a, even as a little kid, you know? Yep. As even as a little kid, you can be jealous. So. Checking to check yourself if you're being resentful, if you're jealous of someone, those are like the first things I check when I start getting mad at someone. Those are the first things I check when I start getting mad at someone. I go, am I being jealous right now? Yes, I am. Hit yes, that I filter. Am. Yep, that is not, is not good. And and what's worked out really well for me is when you identify these, these people that are good at everything, keep them around you. Oh, for sure. <laughs> For sure, for sure, and that's the other the other clincher in in the way the Warrior Kid Three is is Danny Reinhardt. He's not only like better, he's also like a really nice kid. Yeah, and so that makes Mark even madder because everyone wants to be friends with him, you know, yeah. just because he's nice. So yeah, you got to watch out for that. Check yourself. Don't get that. Uh, I wanted to talk about some leadership mistakes. That you've made, and I was thinking to myself, well, I could talk, I could call out Jason for leadership mistakes that he's made. But that's kind of jacked up if I don't talk about any leadership mistakes that I've made. Now, of course, I've listed a bunch of leadership mistakes that I've made in dichotomy of leadership and in extreme ownership. So there's that. But I, I got a couple that I thought of, and I was trying to think of some broad ones. One of them is when I was in Ramadi. I hate to start off like that. When I was in Ramadi. I did not do a as good a job as I should have, and I'll go a little bit further, to keeping the rest of our community informed as to what was happening and why it was happening. And to be honest with you, the reason I say I'll go further than I just didn't keep them informed, I wasn't even thinking about it. I wasn't even thinking about it. When I got home and one of our good friends said to me, and he was all fired up, and he's like, "We were reading your." He's like, "We were reading your AARs at quarters every day." Like, so he, he every day at trade at at the time while we were in Ramadi, they were reading the AARs, the, like the after action report for the. Hey, they killed nine guys. They killed seven guys. It, it, and I, that's you know, I was like, "Hey, that's awesome. That's cool." I didn't really even think of that, but what I also didn't think of was guys that were saying, "Hey, wait a second. What are these guys doing over there?" Hey, wait mm-hmm. a second. Wait, wh- why are you conducting operations during the daytime? Hey, wait a second. Why are you staying out after you get contacted? Why are you staying in position? Hey, wait a second. Why are you working alongside the conventional forces? Why aren't you doing stuff with just special operations? And I did a bad job of explaining these things to our community as a whole. And even when we got back, I had the opportunity to do it. And I, I spread the word to some people and was able to explain to them. But by then, some people had already thought, oh, well, these guys were just over there do, doing these rogue operations by themselves and they shouldn't have been doing it. So that's that's one that's one big one that I wish I would have done a better job and I just, I just wasn't even paying attention. And, and you know what it's like, man. I mean, this is my, this is my excuse is my, it's my fault because I was over there and I'm thinking like, hey, we got an operation tomorrow. I got two guys, I got I got two elements going out in the field. I'm not worried about what they're thinking. Like, I just didn't even think of it and I should have. So I don't know if that's an excuse. It's the reason why I didn't think of it the way I should have and I was wrong for not doing that. How much so, bandwidth could you have expended on it though in the moment? You know what? 
if I would have been a little bit smarter and a little bit better, I could have taken 15 minutes to send out an email and say, hey, everyone, want to let you know what this op was really like. Because uh-huh. they're reading the op sums, right? The op yeah. sum is an official document. If I could have supplemented that with, hey, guys, Jocko here. I know this one sounds a little bit crazy. Here's what's going on. The Iraqi soldiers that we're working with, they don't have night vision. They have one flashlight per fire team. To go out at night with these guys is completely, uh, it doesn't work. And so Mm -hmm. we got to go out in the daytime with them sometimes. And so that's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. You know, I could have done it. I could have expended a little bit. And I just didn't have the awareness that I should have had to explain these things. Also to explain them in plain English. Because it's one thing to read the opsum. That's an official document that's written a certain way. It's another thing to say, hey, guys, Jocko here. Here's what's going on. Because, I mean, let's face it. At that time, I'd been in for a long time. And I had friends everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. and when my friends would reach out to me, this is probably should have been my best indicator. Some of my friends that reached out to me and said, like, hey, dude, what's going on? Like, I heard you just got a guy, I heard one of your guys got shot. What's going on? How's that happening? And I had one specific friend of mine who wrote me like a long email. And, and I wrote him back, right? And said, hey, man, this is what's going on. But that should have been an indicator if one of my friends was reaching out to me and saying, hey, what's going on? I should have been more cognizant of the fact that people beyond and people that didn't know me at all, you know, would be thinking, "What well, you know, well, this guy's this guy's uh, hyper aggressive, and they're just out there taking too many risks." It's like, n- no. And and what was cool was there were some guys that were in Ramadi, other seals that were in Ramadi or working in in and around Ramadi at the time, who I knew, and they were like, "Oh, you guys are crushing it. You guys are doing great. This is awesome." Yeah. But I didn't do a good job. So that's that's one thing. Um, I don't know what it looked like from your perspective. Where were you when I was over there? In Paycom, poolside, at Thailand, explaining to my check. guys why we had to put the mission <laughs> first. Yeah, yeah, check, check. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, I was excited for you guys yeah. because it was like the – that was like the first sustained heavy combat yeah. of that war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything had been – we were talking about the big news to stand around and talk about when you were at the bar was was maybe a tick or a firefight that yeah. lasted five minutes. Yeah. And you guys were troops in contact 100% of the time every time you walked outside the gate. Yeah. It wasn't quite that, but it was a lot. Yeah. And that's for sure. And and that's what, that's what I think. I think I should have explained that better than I did throughout the community. And, you know, I still talk to guys. I still have the opportunity when I, you know, some guys that, I'll I'll still explain this to some guy that I haven't seen because you know how it is you'll run into a guy that yeah. you haven't seen in 15 years, yep. and they'll be like, "Dude, what were you doing over there?" I'm just like, "Hey, let me explain it to you." I've had people sit through kind of the the Ramadi brief mm-hmm. and be like, "Oh, okay, I get it. I get yeah, that makes sense." Or hey, Roger, but yeah, should have done a better job of that from a leadership perspective. Um, I was trying to think of a tactical example of. And this is a real easy story. One time I personally chased down some dude over like multiple rooftops as a in Baghdad, you know, like just got in the one man pursuit. Well, I had another guy like <laughs> trailing me, but basically we're hitting a target. There's a squirter. I'm outside the building as it's happening. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the overhead asset reports that there's a squirter and he jumped to another rooftop. And I had a radio man. The radio man was like near me. And we both know the radio man. And he's like, hey, 
He's like, hey, you went to the next roof. And I was like, got him. And so I climb up a palm tree, a, I climb up a palm tree, like in between a palm tree and like the garage and I get to the roof and I get, and then it's, he's like, you jumped to the next one. And so the radio, the, the JTAC is in the street with me following down and telling me what's going on. And basically I left my, I shouldn't have done that. You know, I should have sent a couple guys and eventually I got someone else with me and then we, we got the guy. Uh-huh. But, you know, I just was trying to think of, hey, where, where did I make some mistakes where that were more on a tactical level? And that's one right there is, you know, I, I'm in charge of the assault. And if I'm out there chasing a guy from rooftop to rooftop, I'm not doing my job. I, but they did have it on video. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was pretty awesome to watch. <laughs> and I tried to get a hold of it, but of course it's classified, so I couldn't have it. But yeah, it was pretty cool to to watch, you know, me yeah. doing like parkour in, in kit. <laughs> climbing palm trees? Yeah, just climbing the palm tree and then jump from roof to roof to roof. And then eventually they're like, hey, he's in that one right there. And uh, yeah, so that was one. And then the last thing, again, I was trying to think of like a variety of different mistakes. And here's something from a leadership perspective that I really, when I look back, I wish I would have done a better job. And that's helping guys with their finances, young guys. I mean, how many young guys re-enlist, they get a $150,000 re-enlistment bonus, and they show up at work two days later, they've got a new Ford F. 350 super duty Harley Davidson uh, version and they have you know they have a they have a $62,000 truck that is now worth they just had it for a day and they've now worth 48,000 so they already lost money and guys that would rent instead of buy you know just all those things where and and I wasn't like super at it but I was ahead and I should have been telling guys like hey man let me talk to you like, hey guys let's do a little Let's, let's do, talk for half an hour about where you're at right now. Let's come up with a strategic objective of where you're going to be in five years. You know, do you still want to be renting an apartment in IB? Because that's probably not great. Or do you want to be buying a place? Get with one of your buddies. So I never talked about that kind of stuff. And again, what it boils down to is my own my own uh, being obsessed. Like. I didn't care about that stuff. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I guess I cared about it enough to do it, and I got lucky. I had a, I had an officer one time that said, I bought a house every three years and kept it. He just said that to me. And I was like, that seems like a really good idea. And that's what I tried to do. Uh-huh. But I didn't pass that word on, and I could have probably helped out more guys. So kind of a bummer on that one. I, Yeah, because that aspect and I completely dropped the ball on that early in my career as well. And later, later on, I got a little bit better at it, but you know, because I did thirty. But uh, um, I, I could tell a guy how to be a good shooter. Yeah. But then I didn't look at the whole rest of the dang pie chart mm-hmm. and realize that if I fixed all that other stuff, they'd be an even I'd better shooter, exponentially better, mm-hmm. right? And. Yeah, that 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 was something that that actually helping guys and there were stuff that this is this is something I really failed at is like I could see guys messing up but I didn't want to have that uncomfortable conversation with them to like mm. bro you you got to you got to kind of fix this like hey you know you've used the analogy before if I have a booger hanging out I want somebody to tell me. Yeah. And so I and see you get mad at them when you're talking about <laughs> I wanted that booger there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, 
I, I definitely wouldn't. I, I had some of those conversations for sure, and I'm sure you did too. Like, hey, uh-huh. bro, this girl, she's not the one. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, this isn't going to work out well for you. The problem is getting somebody to listen to that conversation is real hard when it comes to the ladies. Yeah, and that aspect, it just most times it blows up in your face, and yeah. then sometimes you're just like, hey, I, I realize that maybe I'm going to lose my friendship with you. True. But uh, – I got to tell you this. And later on in my career, when I started to to, to start like struggling with anger issues that were probably a result of my combat deployments and started to go sit down with a psych and I would see. You know, you were super angry even before. I was. (laughs) I was like probably pretty predisposed to it all. And it just it just turned it up to 11. Right. And. uh and then I would see myself and other guys, and I would tell them, hey, man, here's the deal. Here's the Sykes number. I want you just to give him a call, and you don't have to see him after that, but do me this favor. And some guys it would help, and other guys, like I, I made the effort, and they'll come to that conclusion at some point. But it's like, some, you know, we got to look out, look out for each other and do the best we can. And that was something that I, you know, missed out on uh i I think i probably would have made an awesome platoon chief about the time i was an ops master chief Mm -hmm. two echelons above it and really realized what that job was because as a platoon chief one of the things that i missed out on was uh that the guys are always looking at me to set the example and so it was one thing during working hours i could set an example but if i'm a buffoon out drinking too hard Mm -hmm. They're like, you're an idiot. Or they follow your example. They and they they'll follow my example and think that this is acceptable behavior. Uh, if if I'm gonna badmouth my leadership, which is I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's the stuff that if I didn't didn't really have my aperture open on the big picture and would complain about the command, and then I complain in front of the guys, mm-hmm. just screwing them over. Yep. And I did because they're like, Well, he's whining. Yeah. Now, I'm going to go ahead and whine. Uh, I, I had issues where, like, personally, I didn't like the person that I was working directly for. And that that tainted my interaction with that person. I didn't have any relationship with them. And then my whole platoon would suffer because I had a bad relationship with the next guy up just because I didn't like him, uh, which is complete weak sauce. Oh, yeah. I was having a conversation with Dave Burke. Good deal, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, we, we had, he just quoted me yesterday, uh, yesterday I was hanging out with him, and the quote was, like, whatever, six months ago we were having a conversation, and I said something like, hey, Dave, whether I love you or hate you, you won't know either way. <laughs> and and he was like, he's like, well, it kind of freaks me out because you're super nice to me, and now I think you could just hate me and don't care. And you know, we laughed about it, but but that's exactly right, and that is the truth. Like the guys that I hated never knew it. I mean, yeah. to this day, they don't know it. And so, I mean, you and I were having a conversation about a couple of people that I obviously don't like at all they don't know that (laughs) 
Yeah. So so you've got to be professional at all at all times. And it's a very small number of people. Most people are pretty cool to me, you know, and most people support what I'm trying to get done. So I, I'm pretty lucky in that way. But yeah, if you if you let that out, that's bad. Is there ever really a reason not to be polite? Yeah, very seldom. Yeah. You could politely punch someone in the face. And, but and, and no here's, here's where people freak out. out. Here's where people, can, here's where people get all like, oh, well, you know, that's what you're talking about, Jocko. You're, you're a kiss ass. It's like, actually, let me tell you what I actually want to do. What I actually want to do is I want to win. What I actually want to do is I want to have my platoon able to get the support that they need. What I actually want to do is I want to be able to have my platoon get the support that they need so that we can actually do a better job doing our mission. That's what I'm doing. What I care about is my guys and my mission. That's what I actually care about. And if I've got to be polite to someone to make that happen, if I've got to overlook the fact that someone might not be the personality type that I particularly like, I don't care. I don't care. Guess what? I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to absorb whatever kind of crap that that they want to throw, and I'm going to deal with it. It's fine. Now, do you get into situations where you actually have a bad boss? that you have to show, let's face it, if I'm treating you like a piece of shit and and you or I'm making really bad decisions and all you do is support me and you're a yes man, well your guys are gonna lose respect for you. So you there's times where you have to say, hey listen guys, here's what's going on. I don't agree with everything that the boss says, but you know what? He's the boss right now and what we're gonna do is try, the easiest way, the way for me to get him to make better decisions is if he trusts me. So right now what we're gonna do is we're gonna kick ass. And so suck it up, quit complaining, we're gonna do a great job and I'm gonna get a better relationship over him where he will start listening to me and we'll move forward. And by the way, unless we're gonna have a mutiny, which we're not gonna have, this is the best option. The other option is me to have an antagonistic relationship with the boss, in which case all he's gonna do is screw us over. So how do you guys wanna play this? You know what I mean? So sometimes you gotta be transparent about that stuff and, and that's fine too. I mean, I've, I've been in situations where I've had to do that where it's like, okay, hey guys, here's what's going on. I know this seems a little bit crazy. I know that the boss may seem like he's making a, a rash decision on this. Here's what we're gonna do. Let's explain his perspective. Here's what the boss is seeing. He doesn't want this to happen again. He's tightening the noose. He's tightening the leash way more than I want him to. But guess what? Let's show him that he can let loose on the leash again. Let's get in line. You know, so you gotta have those conversations sometimes. But broadly, I'm gonna get along with everybody. Why not? I want to do my mission. I want to take care of my guys. The best way to do that is if I have good relationships up and down the chain of command. Boom. Oh, question. What? So in your no, I don't in, like you. In your even view, in secret. In your view. <laughs> the secret is out. Uh huh. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I kind of got that. Either way, in your view, what um, what's the difference between that? How you say like you get along? Like even if you don't, if you really don't like someone, they mm-hmm. won't ever know. Mm-hmm. In your view, what's the difference between that and being like a what do you call like a two face or a you know, you know, like let's say, oh, he's a toothpaste person or whatever. What's well, the one big thing is I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting along with him so that I can, so that I can uh, better my own life. I'm not doing it so I can take care of me. Yeah, because I don't really care about me. I'm doing it so I can do my job well, so I can take care of my platoon, so I can take care of my team, so I can accomplish my mission. Yeah. That's number one. If I'm doing it so I can get the promotion. I'm actually the guy that I don't like. (laughs) The guy that's like, oh, I'm doing this so I can get promoted? No, I'm not doing that. And and that's another thing. The troops see through that every single time. Everybody does. They they have a name for it in the teams. That guy's a ticket puncher. They're trying to get their ticket punch. Oh, he's just trying to get his ticket punch. He's trying to grab onto that guy's, grab a hold of that person's coattails and ride him up, you know, ride him up to the next rank. It's like, no, everyone sees through that. 
Yeah. If you're doing the right things for the right reasons, people are like, hey, you know what? Jocko, you're a, I mean, how many times people are like, dude, you're a patient guy. Leif Babin told me that. Hey, you're so patient. I don't. I don't see how you do. I don't see how you do it. You know, this is when he was younger. Like, bro, how do you deal with that? I care about our task unit. I will make this happen. I can. I can absorb some impacts. No factor. Bring it. I remember when I was working at the club mm-hmm. as a guy who I thought was two faced. And mm-hmm. when I listen to you, like how you're like, oh yeah, because you said that before mm-hmm. that you like if you didn't like someone, they probably wouldn't know. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense, you know, because it like it helps the relationship, helps morale, like helps helps all these things, right? And then so I think, oh yeah, a two faced guy. There was a distinct difference, and one of the main things on top of what you said, because mm-hmm. what you said was like, a, a, I think a little more thorough, ultimately view mm-hmm. minus a little bit more. How should I say? Straightforward, ground, ground level, I guess. Can I guess what you're going to say? Sure, you can. Uh, well, because the other option, the other answer I was going to give is. I'm not acting differently in That's one it. situation. Oh, I don't yes. go, hey boss, yes, I got it, and then go back to the platoon mm-hmm. and go, he's an idiot. Yep. No, 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 I don't do that. I go, hey boss, I, you know what, and even if, even if it was a situation where I was saying, like I might go back and tell the guys, like, hey guys, this is what's going on, I would tell the boss, I wouldn't say, boss, that sounds like the greatest plan ever. Yeah. No, I'd say, hey boss, I'm not, I don't think I'm 100% on board with this, I see some other ways we could get this done, if this is what you're telling me you want me to do, I'm gonna make it happen, but, I think we could, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, so I don't act differently. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a different person in front of, you know, I was, I was doing an event the other day, and I was like, talking to a company, and I was backstage talking to the CEO, and we were just, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, there's like, he's like, hey, it's only another half an hour before you go on. Do you need some time? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I don't need any time because the person that's gonna walk out on that stage is me, and I'm not acting any different way. It's just me. I'm gonna. You know, I don't need to get into character. Yeah. I'm in character. I'm walking around. I'm like, this is me. Yeah. And he was like, oh, that's awesome. So same thing. I don't, I, when I'm dealing with the boss that I don't like or whatever, I don't show that to anybody. Yeah. I don't act differently. Yeah. But you're, you're also, you're doing a good, you're doing a good, you're managing what hills are worth dying on. For sure. When you go to your boss so that you've built up that equity with them. No doubt about that it. That when you need it, you can cash it in, and that's why you have to establish those relationships with yep. them. And that's what I really failed as as a young leader before my aperture started to get opened up, before I got introspective and I started thinking about all this stuff from a big picture. And then my little ego was in the way. Yeah. And... Uh, um, you know, if you're not if you're not the guy that is bitching every time when you do bring something up mm-hmm. in a respectful manner, then they're gonna at least consider mm-hmm. what you have to say. And nine times out of ten, they're actually gonna go with oh, it. Oh, they're gonna go with it. Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the extreme ownership story. Yeah, that's the and it was me sitting around with your task unit commander, the other task unit mm-hmm. commanders from all the different teams. And everyone's, you know, say they got this problem, that problem, the other problem. You know, and the the Commodore at the time, who was a friend of mine, says, hey, Jocko, what do you need? And I was like, hey, sir, we don't need anything. We're good to go. And, and you like, it, and, you know, for whatever reason, I was like the last guy to go. So it had even more impact because everyone was complaining about this thing and the other thing. Absolutely. And he goes, he goes Jocko, which this, that, they gave it even more impact because he's just like, you know, he knows me. He goes, Jocko, what do you need? And I'm like, nothing, sir. We're good to go. And you can see, you know, four months later when I go in there and I say, hey, sir, we need X. He goes, cool. 
go to supply. I'm calling them right now. Boom, taken care of. That's that's how it should be. Another thing that I was thinking about when you were talking, somebody asked me at some point, you know, at which at what point did you start sort of like looking at yourself? Kind of what you're talking about. At what point did, did I start to look at myself from an external position and say, from a detached perspective and say, wait, are you being jealous? Are you being resentful? Are you complaining? I can tell you right now that when I stepped into a leadership position, what I knew was that as you said, every guy in my platoon is looking at me and I looked at myself the same way. Because as a young enlisted guy, because my first leadership inside of a platoon was as an, as an assistant platoon commander, you know, as an ensign. Mm-hmm. And so, sure, I was a little bit, you know, when I was an E5, I was a, I was a three platoon E5, and are you in a leadership position? You know, a little bit, sure, but not really, a little bit. When I was a platoon ensign, I was thinking the whole time, these guys are looking at me just like I used to look at my officer. So if I complain that it's cold, or I complain that it's, because when my officers used to do that, dude, this sucks. Oh, really? I'd be like, I would, I would just, I would, I just, I would get furious. And that's why that's the when I really started looking at myself. And I'll, I'll, quite frankly, when I started putting in an officer package as a young enlisted guy, and I was like, wait a second, these guys, I want these guys to think that I actually should be in charge. I need to tighten it up. They're looking at me right now thinking, why does Jocko think he should be an officer? Here's why. Here's, I need to act like I actually deserve this. So that was a real precursor to me looking at myself from the outside saying, hey man, I know what it's like to be an E5 in a platoon looking at the officer going, oh, you forgot that piece of gear, did you? And you're in charge of me? You're making more money than me? You're making the decisions tonight on this operation? You didn't bring your handset? Really? That's where we're at? I know what that felt like, and so I held myself to a high standard because I didn't, didn't want somebody to be looking at me thinking, Jock was complaining. He's weak. He's making a. He's he forgot a piece of gear. He didn't show up on time. He didn't show up on time. You know how many times I was late when I was in the U.S. Navy for twenty years? Zero, zero times late. Zero. Never. Why? Paranoia. High level of paranoia. Don't want to have guys. When my officers were late, I'd look at them and think, "Oh, you can't even show up on time. You're in charge of me." You know, that's a young, arrogant kid for sure. Absolutely, yep. that's me. But I, I, I ate that and I held on to it. And that's one of the first things that made me, and, and at some point it turned from this kind of hostility into like, you need to be a better person, you know? If you're gonna be in charge, it went from like this attitude that I'm kind of portraying right now of like, oh, you suck, into like, hey, you need to do a better job you need to hold yourself to a high standard. You need to be a better person. If you're gonna be in charge of these guys, you need to hold the line, and you need to elevate that line. So that had a, that definitely had a big impact on me. And bro, if anybody knows this, you do. You knew me when I was E4, 20 years old, maniac, right? Yeah. And then you you know, you know ran into me what, however many years later, and you're like, oh, he seems a little bit different, you know? Not totally different, but 
because even when I was a young kid, I was fired up. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, I had to elevate, had to elevate some. Yeah, that introspection is something that, that I didn't figure out till way later. But I'm sure glad I'm dead because I think it paid off. It's that's one of the things, and it's one of those things that, you know, did your dad ever give you any advice? Yeah. So did mine. You know how much I listened to? This is about the same amount as I listen to my yeah. dad. It's one of those things where you're you you just there's some things that you have that that you it's like you can't be taught. Yeah, but you you can't, it's like someone can't tell you this for some reason. There's some things that people can't tell you unless you can just completely open your mind and get humble and put your ego in check, which is really hard to do when you're 22, 23, 24. Like there's things that I look at. And I go, oh, you know what? I've heard that before. I, I learned that lesson. I got told that lesson, but I didn't learn it. But it's you can pick it up pretty dang quick by, by example. And so, you know, how often do you get people asking you, well, how do I get that guy over there to take extreme ownership? Yeah. It's like, you do it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You take extreme ownership, and it will be contagious. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in, in that manner, when people see those modeled behaviors – then it just goes out and it, it goes back to that thing that Leif talks about. There's no bad teams, there's bad leaders. Mm -hmm. And I've seen groups, SEAL platoons and SEAL troops that have raw talent in them. Oh, for sure. And then they'll have kind of a, a guy come in that's a tyrant and an egomaniac and that will permeate into everybody. Mm -hmm. The same way as... You know, the one OIC that you're talking about that, that I've worked around, everywhere that guy goes, he lifts everybody mm -hmm. else. Everyone that's around him becomes better by his example. Yep. Yep. Any other mistakes or major mistakes? You, you know, it, it just back to being uh, uh, when I was a, a – a, the troop senior enlisted advisor over in Afghanistan, and we were doing the remain over day operations. And there were a lot of my younger guys that didn't understand why we weren't going, why we weren't just going in, hitting a target, and coming out during the same cycle of darkness. They felt like that would be more effective. And instead of sitting down with them and explaining to them why we were doing what we were doing, I would just tell them, shut up and get out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hindsight, not not the right thing to do because then they really don't know why they're doing yeah. what they're doing and then there's there's resentment that's building and then they're just not going to be the most effective at what they've got going on yep man i wish we could do this whole job over again we kind of can though i mean it, it goes back to the resentment thing and and another bad r word is that regret yeah i've, I've learned like all these dang mistakes I've made and every big setback that I've experienced in my life, I feel like it's kind of set me up for success True. moving forward. So it's kind of like glacier, you know, I'm, every time I've taken like a, a foot back, I then move forward Yeah. three feet, Yeah. learn you know, from it and press on. What's, what's interesting for me is as I look back at, at my career now, and I was actually doing this when I was thinking about mistakes. Man, and I, I was actually talking to uh, Dave Burke. The deal, yeah. Dave? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, all, the things that 
I talk about all the time now. I, I I did those things. Like when I was a platoon commander, I was doing this stuff. I, I wasn't I wasn't as crystallized, but like when I was a task unit commander, boom, I was do this is what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what I was doing. It wasn't like I had it crystallized. It wasn't like I had this like, oh, this is what I had seen enough and most of it I'd seen, as you just said, through modeling from some good officers and from some bad officers and some good chiefs and some bad chiefs where I'd say, oh, that's what that, I'm gonna, hey, why does that guy do that? He always tells me what's going on. Okay, I'm gonna always do that. You know, like that kind of thing. It's, but but like you said, when you you get done with a job, you look at him, you're like, man, let me just do that one more time because I will knock this thing out of the park. So when is the moment, do you think for you that you're, the collective light bulb went off and you kind of put a lot of this together? The collective, well, that you know the first FTX is a trade at when you got there and that was like, part of it like I like my assistant platoon commander in my OIC um, I was telling him this stuff you know uh-huh. I was like hey man here's what's going on like hey we need to do this hey you when you go in and brief this guy you need to be like this this stuff I was doing it but then the next deployment it was like when I was you know when I was working with Leif and Seth mm-hmm you know, it was me saying, hey, man, come here. And, and you know, those guys would whip out the freaking uh, the wheel books, you know. Like after they realized what was going on, which was like three days into our 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 task unit, and I'd be like, hey, check this out. And boom, they'd get out and they'd write and they'd write down like, okay, this is what, okay, got it. Yes, that makes sense. And, but as far as actually taking it and crystallizing, yeah, it was absolutely my first, the first FTX I went on. Uh, with trade at and watch the watch the task unit out there just fall apart and 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 all I was doing was sitting there thinking if this was my task unit number one here's what I'd be doing and number two when I got back I'd be telling the platoon commander this this and this I'd be telling those guys hey this is where you screwed up and I just was watching it and go okay here I basically condensed everything that I had told my guys and said okay here's what you guys need to do and that was Cover, move, simple, prioritize, and execute, and decentralized command. The answers to so many, the answers to all problems. <laughs> Boiled down to four things. And they and all you, kind of overlap, too. Yeah, they definitely are intertwined and they overlap. And you do have to throw extreme ownership on there only because if you don't take ownership of the problems, then they're not going to get solved and that is going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That, at, at the muster... JP was saying some stuff that really stuck with me, and he said it out at the at the PT. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Hey, everybody, we get to be here. This yep. is an opportunity that you have to be here." Yep. And he said that, and I thought, "Man, that is just an awesome perspective to have." I called him up yesterday. I'm like, "Hey, I want to talk about this," and. You know, just fill me on and on what your mindset is. And he goes, yeah. He goes, you know, because because when he was at Buds, the way mm-hmm. he looked at a four mile time run, which I hated four mile time runs. I just I would throw up every four mile time mm-hmm. run. His his attitude was, I get to do this four mile time run. So if you take that and you start applying that to everything, heck yeah. They just don't have. There's no room to bitch mm-hmm. about a damn thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I moved through the airport today and I see a guy with no legs. And I'm like, man, my life is so good. Both my legs work. Mm-hmm. 
and 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 I shouldn't I shouldn't have a complaint in the world. Yeah. One of the, one of the last thing, and we're getting kind of like getting pretty long here, but um, you know, one of the things I w- I wanted you to talk about, and I know this isn't really well, it's, I guess it is because as a leader of your family, mm-hmm. um, I know that we we have to we have to lead our family. Right, and one of you 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 posted something the other day that was legit. Um, I think it was called a promise to my daughter, and mm-hmm. I was I just asked if you could bring it in because I think if if you don't mind reading that to everyone, I think it's a pretty cool uh, setup of how to take ownership of of your family and how to how what you what you as a leader and as a dad. And as a father and as a husband, what you are putting forth as your goal, as your objective, as your strategy with your daughter. And I thought it was pretty awesome. So if you wouldn't mind reading that, that'd be cool. Absolutely. <clears throat> a promise to my daughter. I will love you always, unconditionally, no matter what. I will not pamper you. This will forge a resilience that will help you conquer all of life's obstacles. I do not intend to raise a princess, but rather a warrior with fire in her heart and ice in her veins. In my mind, there is nothing you can't do, no job or goal beyond your reach. I will challenge you so that you stand confidently on your own two feet. And I will set the example on how to treat those you love so that when you choose a partner, it will be someone that lifts you up. I will invest my time and energy in you so that when I am gone, enough memories of me will be with you in your heart to keep forever. Stand tall with your shoulders back. This world is yours for the taking. Boom. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome, man. And obviously, I would think the same stuff for my son. Yeah, yeah. But. Well, you'll have to write one a little bit specific to him. Very similar, I'm please. sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. And uh, that that's really cool. And I bet a, a lot of people will, A, listen to it, and B, plagiarize it. And, uh, you know. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, for their own family. But no, that's awesome, man. And um, like I said, we're we're going pretty long right now. So I think that's a good place to wrap up this one. What is this now? We've done something like seven or eight hours. <laughs> seven or eight hours. Awesome. So uh, Echo, speaking of having a strategy to get to where we want to go, Yes. To be a little bit better across the board in all aspects. What do you got for us? Got some tips. Oh, by the way, yeah, I read that on Instagram, if I'm not mistaken, and I considered plagiarizing it Please for my do. daughter. Now I got the confirmation, or what do you, what do you guys call it? Cleared. You're cleared clear hot. hot. Yeah, yeah. You're clear yeah. hot. All right, there you go. Uh, and you were right about the the two faced things when you said, mm-hmm. oh, "Let me guess what you're going to say." Oh, you're okay. absolutely 100% correct. Cool. Yeah, like act one way. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. hey, boss, hey, you know, yeah. hates him. No, didn't hey, do that. Hey, no. you're awesome, you're awesome. And then right when he leaves, then, you know, yeah. you see, that like guy's the such opposite. an idiot. Yeah, he's such a <laughs> Yeah, don't do that. Talkable. 
Unless, yes, we're on the path. Okay, good. Stra- the strategic versus uh, tactical. Tactical. Long game, short yeah. game. I know you've been in the long big, game for a while. Big picture, small picture, all the same thing. When people ask Echo what's like the big takeaway, mm-hmm. I think that's his primary that takeaway is, is focusing on the long game, mm-hmm. which he's a football, so you know he like thinks the game thing or sure. Super Mario Brothers. Sure, as more, well. more appropriately, yes. But you know, as opposed to thinking short game. Yeah. And if you look at your life every day, in long game slash strategic instead of short game slash tactical, yeah. you're gonna end up in a better spot. Yeah, and when I say the biggest, I mean that's the one that applies to like the whole, my whole life. Mm-hmm. There's the other stuff. No complaining. That one was a, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. No complaining. No uh, blaming, of course. And then um, resent. Resent. I never really had the resent thing. The jealousy thing. I, that's something I never of, really had. They're that. kind of entwined. Yeah. Um, that one to me always felt obvious when yeah. I when I when I discovered um, like anger, like b- when you're mad, that's like something up with you kind of thing, yeah. even though it's natural, whatever. Yes. Uh, when Plum. I, that's yep. one of the biggest one of the biggest things I got from doing this podcast is Captain Plum saying when they were in the in the Hanoi Hilton, yeah, yeah, and him saying if you were annoyed with your prison bunk mate. Yeah, it was your fault. It I was like, hit me Dang. like a diamond bullet, yeah. right between the eyes. That was, that like was extreme ownership, next level. Yeah, because uh-huh. oh, yeah. always annoyed with that other person. You go, no, actually, you know what? That's my fault. Yeah, yeah, that was good. When I when I discovered it was a book I was reading called Mind Games. I mentioned it before, and it said small little passage said basically um in a nutshell like when you have anger issues not to say when you get mad but it just says if you have anger issues it has something to do with your self-esteem like you have low self-esteem and that hit me really hard like oh man that hit me so hard that i was like man i can never get mad ever again that's that's like a reverse psychology on your ego because then your ego is going i gotta turn myself down because i got low self-esteem here oh yeah it's genius same thing with the drinking now you you uh you put it into words good where okay so drinking right i ended up um figuring out or it being revealed to me that drink like when you drink when you have a drink and you want another one and you want another one and your mind and the more you have the more you sort of want you can't really stop or whatever you don't want to stop it's just your brain tricking you you know it's your brain tricking like your brain is chemically saying oh we need this hey we need this you know uh-huh. we need more or whatever and then but you felt like you were getting manipulated i felt like i was a sucker as mm-hmm. you said and my mm-hmm. ego was like whoa 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 i'm not a sucker i don't care if it's my own brain i'm not a sucker or whatever and it yeah. was just that easy man that easy to control it but yes it is a, pl- a reverse psychology on your ego mm-hmm. good as opposed to regular psychology on your ego short term and long term jiu-jitsu Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to yep. gonna use re- the word reverse. Reversal. Reversal. I thought that's, that's what you were going to handle the transition. Negative. Negative. I'm saying uh, <laughs> I'm on the first uh, long game and short game. Jiu-Jitsu is one of those long game, short game situations. 100%. Part of the path, part of the many activities that we're all doing on the path. Jason Gardner got into good shape, obviously. So we're exercising. We're doing Jiu-Jitsu. We're eating healthy. We're not getting mad at people. We're not showing resentment. We're not complaining. Mm-hmm. Various other things that we'll go over. Anyway, jiu-jitsu, when you do jiu-jitsu, you're going to need a gi. What gi do we get? Origin gi. Get it from originmain.com. This is where all their stuff, by the way, is made all in America. From the cotton they grow from the ground all the way to the end. From the dirt to the shirt. Shirt. 
yeah. all that. Anyway, originmain.com. Also, you get jeans. Yes. American, American denim. Yeah. Yes. Which we are producing right now. We are hiring more people to produce even more. So my apologies on it. If you're ordering right now, maybe we don't have your size. We're working it. We're working it hard. We're growing. Yeah, that was good. Some people at the I appreciate that they have the 28 inch inseam. <laughs> 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 yeah. Usually, I can only get 30s. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. Boom. There you go. Accommodating everybody. Yeah, there's some a few guys at the muster who had them on. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, a whole a couple people got them in. Yeah, man, it's good. I don't have any, but hey, that, those are the breaks, and that's just the life I live. Also, they have sweatpants and shirts and whatnot, other stuff on there. Also, supplements. Supplements. The best kind of supplements, by the way. Yeah. There was some there were some people freaking out <laughs> on the uh, strawberry slayer. Have you tried strawberry slayer yet? Yeah, that's just not me. Oh, you don't I'm, like strawberry? I'm not not that kind of strawberry guy. Oh. I definitely <laughs> got some and tried it. It didn't work. I'm I'm a hardcore mint chocolate chip and then the vanilla for mix. Yeah, yeah, you get that vanilla gorilla and throw it inside your uh, coffee. Your coffee. Heck yeah. That's your sweetener kind of? That's your that's cream like my and creamer. Sugar? Yeah. Boom. Boom. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was good method. And and then that's Iris is mixing that in when everything. You, when do you drink that in the morning? Uh, uh, oh, like what time? Like right at right after I PT. And then how? When do you feel hungry for your next meal? Oh, I don't eat until like one, Check. one or two o'clock. Check. It's just that and, entire and Iris is just putting it in everything. She's making milk yeah, pancakes. Yeah, she's making milk yeah, pancakes <laughs> and smoothies and all that stuff. So we go through quite a bit of milk in our house. Yeah, and the kids love it. Yeah, that strawberry can make like a, it's like a milkshake smoothie mm-hmm. hybrid Here's situation. what I said the other day. If you put in front of me Haagen-Dazs strawberry milkshake. Yes. Right? Sure. Nestle's strawberry quick. Yes. And strawberry Slayer milk. And I was going to die in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So we're just going pure satisfaction pure 100%. Short, short, pure yeah. short term. Like yeah. the long game is out of the picture. Yes, sir. I'm going straight to the strawberry slayer milk because that's what <laughs> tastes the best. There that is the taste test. Yep. right? No one does a taste test like that. I'm not throwing a caveat on there, mm-hmm. but the Haagen-Dazs is going to be sugary or the Nestle's Quick is going to give you a sugar. No. We're taking the long game totally out of the picture. We're going yep. pure short term tactical taste. Where are you at? Strawberry slayer, bring it. <laughs> The name's awesome too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you agree. know. Agree. Also, joint warfare. One time, for Pete, Pete was trying to like tell me product names, yeah. and he's like, he's like brainstorming. Pete goes, you know, Pete's like Mister Creative. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah. He's like into well, being creative. Yeah. He even told me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He'll tell you. Like <laughs> that's his creative stuff, right? So Pete's like hitting me up. He says, so he said, sending me all these, all these things. Strawberry sniper. I'll have to pull out the list. It's so funny. Everything. These random military terms. <laughs> But yeah, don't catch Pete. He gets into these moods. Mm-hmm. Creativity is just coming out of his yeah, coming out of his brain, and yeah. he'll start hitting me up with texts yeah. about strawberry sniper. Yeah, I'm not. Whatever. I'm not that mad at strawberry no, sniper. No, I'm not that mad. He had some ones that. But were Slayer real, is better. Real. I'm used to Slayer, so when I hear Sniper, I'm like, oh, I see why that was like a distant yeah. second or whatever. I'm trying to think of some of the other whack ones he came <laughs> up because of. Sorry, Pete. <laughs> bro, but, thing, bro. Yeah, some of them were real funny. Actually, I texted him. He texted. Brian and me, he's texting us all these names, and I was like, okay, stop, no more. <laughs> and he just started laughing. Yeah, so check that. Yeah, well, he's probably had a, he had probably had a little too much discipline, go. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. 
Yeah. How many discipline go are you on right now? Four. Daily. No, per day? Yeah. Just because I had to get up at 3 a.m. Oh, morning. right. You're currently to What time did you go to bed? What, 10? 10 p.m. the so night So you're before? on five hours of sleep right yeah. now? Yeah. Did you sleep on the plane? No. Can you sleep on planes? Yes. I can see sometimes I can, but I was I was just writing all these notes in here oh. ready for this, and some sometimes I can just turn yeah. it off. But I wasn't able to sleep on the plane. I can sleep on planes, not as well as Echo though. I Echo can. gets the world championship belt <laughs> for sleeping on planes. We get on a plane. I got a plane with him. Within within thirty eight seconds, he's asleep. He looks. He puts his sunglasses on. He looks like he's awake, but it's a lie. <laughs> So, yeah, so discipline go. That's a good situation. I take two every morning. Check. So get up in the morning, two discipline go, and then um, joint warfare. I'm taking morning and night. Yeah. And I notice a difference. How many do you take? Uh, I'm taking two in the morning and two at night, and then... And what's your body weight right now? 160, something like that. I take three. I take three joint warfare, three curl oil. Morning, three joint warfare, three curl oil. Night. And if I'm if I got a little little, little situation going on, sir. I might if I'm around, I'll take three during the day for lunchtime too. Dang, so you just so, got the infusion, infusion, situation, infusion. It's yeah. good, man. So that's that. Yeah, don't forget about the warrior kid milk too. Yeah, for the warrior kids. Yeah. Well, so all right. Well, let's let's talk about it then. What's what in your opinion? Warrior kid milk, strawberry or strawberry Slayer? <sighs> strawberry Slayer is thicker. It's like yeah. a shake. Yeah, the other I, one's I think like, actually. I think the way that they are, they are actually suitable for their audience. So the, str- the strawberry, the Warrior Kid strawberry milk is just a little bit, a little bit lighter, we'll say, because it does have less protein. Mm-hmm. And the one, the adult one, is a little bit heavier. Gotcha. A little bit more like that Hagen Nas hitter. Sure. <laughs> yeah, just like that. Where are you at, Theo Vaughn, with that? Hitter. Also, <laughs> also, Jocko White Tea. Yes. Very refresh. I'm going to say the light, the nice stuff about it. Very refreshing. Certified organic pomegranate white tea. Doesn't sound mm-hmm. hardcore, but it can after deadlifting 8,000 pounds. That is kind of hardcore. Yeah. Proven, by the way, Jason Gardner. Scientifically. Yeah. yeah you know mm-hmm. all about that. You know what I'm talking about. 100% guaranteed. Can I get sued for that? Uh, I, you know, maybe I, I guess if there was someone that couldn't hit an eight thousand pound deadlift, yeah. then they might come at me. Yeah, come at me, bro. You know what I'll say? Lift harder. Yeah, man. Drink more. You can Yeah, you got to train them. Because there's no that. way everyone else is deadlifting eight thousand pounds. <laughs> What's wrong with you, the guy? Yep. Yeah. Check. Yeah, makes sense. Also, we have a store. It's called Jocko Store. I think we all know that. This is where you can get rash guards, t-shirts, mm-hmm. going to represent discipline equals freedom, uh, trucker's, hats. Get some, trucker's hats, beanies, some beanies there. Man, I got to refill the beanies. Good. Oh, thanks so maybe for, we thanks, don't have beanies there. Well, well it's current, where Echo well, never you know, wears hats. So these yeah. apparently are low on the pro. Have you ever you've, you've even had a cold head before? Yeah, I have had a cold head before, sure. In put Kauai? a hood on. Well, it depends on what you mean by cold, but mm. you know, yeah, you put the hood on, you know, put that lightweight hoodie on and just put Curb the coldness on the head. Yeah, yeah man, right when you shave it, like with the, what do you call the, the razor? Mm-hmm. Or the bick, right? Mm-hmm. They say when you bick your head, that's what that's an expression. Oh, yeah, it can get a little nippy, I guess. Kind of cold. Well, anyways, the rest of us would like some more beanies online. Yes, sir, you got it. Even and for the summertime. Yes, sir, no Because if you're up in Maine in the summertime, yeah. or you're up in Michigan in the summertime, yeah. or you're up in Washington, Washington in the sure. summertime, once the sun goes down, 
Yeah. You can get that little chili. Yeah. Yeah. Coming at you. Yeah, I agree. And that's how it is here, too, in my opinion. And you might as well have a beanie that says discipline equals freedom. Yeah, man. Represent with everything. Also, the hoodies, like I mentioned, lightweight hoodies. Yeah. Lightweight hoodies. Jason, yeah, I saw you, you with on at the muster. You look good, right? Not bad. Well, thank you. Oh, now much. we're on the how everyone looks over well, here. Well, well, <laughs> it's part of the game. It can be part of it. maybe not for you uh, aesthetics wise, right? We got functionality. We have aesthetics. They're not exclusive. Yeah, and you remember I was asking you about the heavyweights because that's yes, what sir. I. But that's what I need up in northeastern Washington on the Canadian border. We are yes, working. Functionally, you're correct. We are working currently at this time so that by the time fall rolls rolls around, we offer. The heaviest of heavyweight hoodies. Yeah. That's the plan. Yes. I'm talking big time. The real deal. Yeah. For, for yeah. Guys, yeah. Where there'll be no doubt in your mind, you'll be like, oh, yeah, this is this is the heaviest hoodie I've ever heard. Like I had. Putting on five pounds. Yeah. yeah. That's what we want. That's what Utility. we want. But aesthetics, how, how, let's say a factor of 10. Is function right? You don't have ten. to answer this question, Jason. <laughs> you need you need level 10 functionality, obviously. Aesthetics, what are we, what are you at? What number? A seven. That's pretty significant. Jock, what? what are you at? Zero. Zero. Straight up zero. Doesn't like the lightweight. Uh, mm, uh, the lightweight. Any anything having to do with fashion? I think I think you're at a one. That's what mm. I think. Yeah. No. I, if if I, there are some things where I'd be like, this looks stupid. Therefore, I will not wear it. Yes. So we are correct. That puts me at a level one. All right. Well, how about this? You got you have three, t- four T-shirts. Mm-hmm. One green. Mm-hmm. Like green, green, mm-hmm. not OD green, mm-hmm. green, green, one red, mm-hmm. one black, mm-hmm. one purple. Which one are you choosing? Black. Why? Looks better, right? Doesn't get dirty as easy. No, nah, man. Oh, All right. All right. <laughs> anyway. Where's that punk card? Anyway. <laughs> it's got pulled, boy. Anyway, some women stuff on there, too. It is jockostore.com. This is where you can get stuff to represent. Yeah, check it out. If you like something. Get something. Did you oh. say originmain.com? Yes. Okay, That's cool. for, yes, for the origin Somebody stuff might want some keys. of that strawberry. Of course, man, of course. Yes. Also, subscribe. Strawberry Slayer should have like a like a, like a theme. Like when you say it, it should be like in the background. It should go, Strawberry Slayer. <laughs> Got a double bass drum yeah. hammer. I'm derailing you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that, but you know, it, it, does, it, is a good, it is a good name for sure, 100%. Also, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget about the Warrior Kid podcast. Yes. Which comes out not as frequently as it should. It should step up this summer as time opens up to create and record that sure. particular yep. podcast. Yeah, that's a good one. For and sure. and then you can get some of that warrior kid soap. You're friends with Matt, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Up there, Aiden making it on his farm. Irish Oaks. Yeah, irishoaksrants.com. How do you know him? Through Iris? Did he come to your farm? Yeah, we were going to buy meat from him. Oh, and then okay. when he came to deliver it to you, he swung by and visited us. Oh, and I, I was gone that day, so I didn't meet him. But him and I have chatted on the phone a whole bunch of times. Awesome. Yeah, he's a firefighter up in uh, Ventura County. And uh, he's got a farm as well. And his son, Aiden, who's a young warrior kid, makes soap so that everyone in the world can stay clean. <laughs> yep. That's cool. That's good soap, too, by the way. Yeah. Functional soap. It's not the decorative. You know, the ones that your mm-hmm. little niece makes. And it's like, here, 
it's not. You're that. not even supposed to really use it. Yeah, it's just it's, a decoration, yeah, a gift, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yes. Also, we have a YouTube channel, the Jocko Podcast YouTube channel. This is where you can get the video version, of course. You want to see what Jason looks like? Very mm-hmm. handsome. You're a good-looking guy, <laughs> I'd say. Bro. You know, Jocko. What? Just take it easy. Amen. Either way, if you are interested in that, we have a YouTube channel. Also, some excerpts on there. You know, we'll cut up little excerpts. And sometimes Echo puts cello music behind them, and he puts <laughs> explosions in them. Yeah, sometimes when I want to yeah. enhance them, maybe maybe like a certain message that you talk about hits me hard. I say, hey, let me express this. You know, put some stuff on there. Do you ever feel like maybe we should just get a a couple of cello players in here. No, I don't. Tap. I don't ever feel like that at all. <laughs> and you know, I think we should stick with what we're doing. That's my opinion. Here's the thing about YouTube, though, as far as uh, subscribing. Yeah. So it doesn't even matter. And you might notice, Jay, you, do you spend time on YouTube? Yes. Like, okay. So here's what I learned and observed. If you subscribe to someone on YouTube, it doesn't matter that much. Like, their stuff won't show up all the time, like, oh. l- like how you would expect. You'd think, like, oh, if you subscribe, their stuff is going to sort of show up on your, what do you call it, the home yeah. page or whatever. It doesn't so much do that anymore. But I get an email every time you post something new. Okay, now you're That's talking. That's what I like. See, yeah, now you're talking because when you subscribe to someone and you do that additional step, you click on the little bell. I think it's, like, right next to or on the subscribe button or wherever it is right there. If you do that, then you'll get the alert email or you know, my whatever. Alerts, my alerts actually come onto my phone they like yeah. spring up that on that from youtube or that for your Jocko email podcast just posted a new video that's yeah. from my from the app from the youtube app from the youtube app yes which so, is pretty cool yeah yeah so if you want that this is what i'm saying so when you subscribe it's almost like a half subscribe not even a half it's like a quarter subscribe that's what it is because you're sort of like oh yeah i officially sort of subscribe but youtube's like cool okay i think we're not gonna let you know we want to subscribe this is way different (laughs) this is different i'm saying if you want to subscribe and you want to get alerts and you want it to sort of be in your what do you call it the feed or whatever you gotta hit the little bell this is what i'm worried about i'm worried about since you're very decentralized since there's a lot of decentralized command here yes i'm worried that if people don't subscribe all of a sudden, you're just going to start putting the little thing at the end of your enhanced videos that says, <laughs> that says, yeah. like, share, and click like, subscribe. Like, share, and subscribe. Like, it shows the little finger, click subscribe. Sure, man, ring and if that happens, no. we're going to have a problem. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, the sir. videos make it going to get centralized real quick. <laughs> real quick. Well, Eric, we're not going to worry about that because I agree with you 100%. Like, share, and subscribe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, before you watch this video, go down to the bottom right and (laughs) click subscribe now. I'm just saying, I'm sure there's some function. slightly annoying. I hate it when I see that. I'm sure there's some function in that. What's the the equivalent uh, of when you meet someone? Like, what's the equivalent of of a human interaction? Where you say that? Wait, would that be somebody like somebody dropping the S bomb? Would it be like yeah, that? But it would be like like hey, good to meet you. Can I have a pat on the back, please? Like isn't that basically what it is? That's the human interaction equivalent. Yeah, like like hey, nice to meet you. Um, give me your phone, and I'm gonna index. I'm gonna put my yeah my phone number, number in there. Yeah, so, so I can text you y- yes. what I'm doing. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, give me a pat on the back. All right, sorry. Uh, no, I might figure that. That's actually a good little an analogical. Analogy, um, mm-hmm. like comparison task. To find the analogy is what I'm saying. Psychological warfare, iTunes, Google Play, MP3 platforms. If you want to, if if you want a wake up call, 
Yes. Which a lot of people say, can't you make an alarm? Can't you make an alarm? Can't you make an alarm? Yes, you can use psychological warfare as an alarm. There's a bunch of alarm options there. There's also something on there. If you're if you're feeling like you want to eat a donut or you want to eat a bag of Cheetos, yeah. when's the last time you ate a bag of Cheetos? One time I ate a whole bag of Hershey's Kisses, and this is when I was in the teams. I'm talking a grown man. How big was the bag? Like a like, like a good size, like the size of a book. The size of a regular size book, like it was yeah. one of those. Yeah, yeah. And it was like six years ago. My mom came over to my house and put a whole bag of candy corn. Oh, it was around God. Halloween, and corn. every time I walked by it, I was stuffing yeah. the things in my mouth. And pretty soon they were all gone. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God! Uh, you like candy corn? They're they're good. As since I've, I I bet I couldn't eat one right now because I you know kind of cut sweet stuff out. Yeah, and yeah. every time I slip, I taste something. I'm like, holy cow! Yeah. The yeah. thing I noticed that is with with Coca Cola. Like I can't even can't even come close to drinking a Coca Cola. I mean, I haven't had one a legit like, hey, I'm gonna have a Coke in probably ten or fifteen years or something like that. A long time, yeah, actually, yeah. probably even longer than that. But when I when I look at them, or like the last time I tried to sip one, I was like, Egh. yeah, they're like syrup. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, makes sense. I can see that. I can <laughs> drink Coke though. So that's psychological warfare. You can get that on any of those platforms. Also, FlipsideCanvas.com if you want the visual. Reminder of something my brother Dakota Meyer has a company called flipside canvas.com and he's making all kinds of cool stuff He's about to run out some warrior kid stuff too. some little warrior kid. I like his Teddy Roosevelt stuff yeah, and He's just getting that. after it. Yeah. yeah, so he's making some really cool stuff art Art with layers by the way art mm. with layers. There you go. I like that. You know also on it you're Expanding your home gym you're getting more kettlebells, which I did by the way Darth Vader. How much does it weigh? 70. Okay. Here's the thing about the 70 pound. Like, sure, I'm not, you know, I'm going to be more impressed with your 100 pound kettlebell that you were, whatever, bragging to me about. 106. 106. There you go. There you go. 106. But the 70 and the 72, the gorilla one or whatever, those, in my opinion, have the most, like, place. Universal usage. Yeah, yeah. Universal usage, yes. Yeah, those are great. I agree. Yeah, plus the Darth Vader. I mean, come on, man. It's the ultimate one, I think. But I they should they should have made the old they should have made the Darth Vader like a, a hundred at least over a hundred pounds, yeah. in my opinion. Maybe Jason, you're the Star Wars expert. Yeah, he should definitely be the heaviest. Who's the he most the heaviest. who's the most powerful character in Star Wars? Darth Vader. Does it doesn't seem More like he's kind of a chump sometimes? No, negative. No, nah, you'd think the Emperor maybe, but it's Darth Vader. Darth Vader Dude, you're smashes about to get, the Emperor. You're about to get called Ask out. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, Darth Maul was pretty dang badass too. No, but I, I mean, know, who is he, like but the? But he got chopped up pretty quick. But I mean, Darth Vader lost. Darth Vader lost to Luke Skywalker, who mm-hmm. crumbled immediately. By the way, yeah. Later on, so it's Darth Vader, man. I think it's Darth Vader. Yeah, I like Vader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. There, there the real go. leader lifts people up. You ever see that meme and Darth Vader's holding? <laughs> <laughs> That rebel guy up by the front. There you go. That is so funny. But Darth Vader went through the whole arc. He was good, bad, good, boom. You know, I don't think anyone, well, I'm sure there's other people. Nonetheless, yes, I got that kettlebell. There's a lot of good stuff. There's these these electrolyte minerals that are part of my daily, daily mega Mm -hmm. mix with the discipline. Nonetheless, go on there, onit.com slash Jocko, and check out some stuff on there, some really good stuff on there. All right, some books. Way the Warrior Kid 3. The book is called Where There's a Will. There is a good message. Talked about it already. Check that one out. It is available 
now also Way of the Warrior Kid one and two. Mark's mission is two. Number one is Way of the Warrior Kid. Check those out for your kid to teach your kid these lessons. These lessons that that Jason and I just talked about for two plus hours are broken down, simplified, and and sprinkled sprinkled throughout these books so that your kid is going to read them and your kid is going to say things to you like dad i think you that might be your ego talking <laughs> that's that that so that the idea of ego gets introduced in way of the warrior kid 3 that's where it gets introduced for the first time so why because i wish somebody would have told me about my ego i wish some, somebody would have explained to me that i was resentful i was jealous i was I was whining, no one did. Hmm. Or if my dad did, I didn't listen because I was a young punk. Hmm. So uh, get those books. Also, if you've got a younger kid, you can get Mikey and the Dragons as well, which again, this is the thing where your kid gets taught a lesson. Hey, I didn't listen to my dad. My, I didn't listen to my mom. Jason didn't listen to his mom. Jason didn't listen to his dad. I've been sitting around with a bunch of like real, really squared away people, business people, and we're ta- we start talking about kids, and, and then I say, hey, wait a second, who here listened to their parents? No one raises their hands, mm-hmm. like very few. There's the one occasional, two occasional, uh, Eddie Haskell's, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I always listen to my parents. No, you didn't, liar. Most, most, but you, but what happens is when they hear it from another angle, they listen to it and they go, oh, okay, I understand that. And they think it's cool. It's Uncle Jake saying it. It's not my dad. Because mm-hmm. your your kids want to rebel against you because they know they have to leave the nest. So they got to set up some kind of a barrier. So they need someone to give them advice. Let that someone be Uncle Jake. Let that someone be the king in Mikey and the Dragons. So there you go. That's that. Also, we got. Obviously, Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. If you're an adult, you need to know how to get on the path and stay on the path. Just get that book and put it by your bedside and read that. Read a page in the morning. Have you ever had a book that will get you out of bed? No. Okay, Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. Put it next to your bed. Yeah, yeah. You'll be like, I'm getting out of bed. (laughs) I'm going to go get some. So then there's Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership. These are books about leadership written by me and my brother Leif Babin about the lessons that we learned overseas. Now you can apply them in your team, in your business, in your life. Also, we got Echelon Front, Leadership Consultancy. And we're very busy. You know why we're very busy? We're very busy because no matter what problem you have in your team, in your business, the problem is a leadership problem. And if you wanna get it solved, you gotta solve the leadership the leadership problems that you have. And if you can do that, then they're gonna solve the problems in your company. So it's me, it's Leif Babin, JP Donnell, Dave Burke, Flynn Cochran, Mike Sorelli, Mike Baima, and Jason Gardner. If you want us to help you, go to echelonfront.com for details. We got the muster. Chicago's done. Did it sell out? Yes, it did. How'd you like the muster? That was your first muster, Jason. How'd you like it? Wow. That was amazing. Don't you wish you got to go to that when you were 25 years old? Y- yeah. 30 and years you know, old? I was super impressed by it. There, there were people that had their kids there. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's not normal, right? It, I mean, when you say there was people, there was probably... Okay. And by my, by kids, there were... I'm talking... Oh, there was yeah, one 13-year-old yeah, yeah. that yeah. was yeah. there, but there was a, a quite a few, like, teenagers and, and, yeah. and high school yeah, age. Young, 18 yep, to... Yeah. I would say 16 to 21. Right. There, there'll, be, there'll be a good amount, maybe a dozen, yeah. right? And then... But, there's, yeah, there was one 13-year-old little warrior kid yeah. that was just straight getting after it. Yeah, that's He was not coming to early morning PT. Yeah, oh, with yeah. A warrior yeah. Kid rash guard, oh, yeah. By the way, doing it. You didn't mention that warrior kid rash guard. Yeah. If you want to get that. Yeah. yeah there's Anyways, warrior kid rash guard. that's the muster. They always sell out. The next one is in Denver. It's 19th and 20th of September, and it's gonna sell out. Sydney, Australia, December 4th and 5th. It's gonna sell out. We got people in Australia. Yes, we do. When I went to Brizzy. There was people from all over Australia coming to hang out. Oh, yeah. Home of David Hackworth, Brisbane. That's where he moved. Take it. Yeah. Cool. And if you want to come to that, go to extremeownership.com. Get on it early. EF Online. If you can't come to the muster or you can't bring your entire company to the muster because the muster is expensive, then get go to efonline.com. And what that is, it's leadership training. But the thing is, leadership training is not an inoculation. You can't just go to leadership training one time and then you're like, oh, cool, I got extreme ownership. Now I'm good to go. Yeah. Doesn't work like that. Just like you can't go to one jujitsu class yeah. or even one week's worth of jujitsu class. You can't go to a two day jujitsu seminar. Now you're good to go. Yeah. No, you need to keep training. And that's what happens here as well. So you, it's, not a, it's not an inoculation. You got to get it repeatedly. And that's what EF Online does. Or if you can't make it to the muster. Mm-hmm. Go to EFonline.com and also EF Overwatch, taking proven leaders from spec ops and combat aviation and putting them in companies in the civilian sector that need leaders. Now, you might think, well, they don't have any experience in my industry. Cool. They'll learn it. That's what we do. Hire for their character, hire for their leadership capability, and then teach them the industry specifics they'll pick up and they will fill in the leadership holes that are causing you problems. And if you want to hear more about 90s TV shows or Super Mario Brothers from Echo. No. (laughs) Or you want to hear more about war or leadership from Jason or me, then all of us are on the interwebs. Jason is on Instagram, jason.n.gardner. He's on Twitter, Jason N. Gardner. He's on Facebook as well, Jason Gardner. And... Obviously, Echo and I are both on those platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and that Facebook. Echo's at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink. And thanks to all the veterans out there, like Jason, who did their time on the line. And thanks to everyone else out there right now in the fight. Thanks for protecting our way of life. You got any other closing thoughts? Nothing for the group. Check. And also, thanks to police and law enforcement, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, dispatchers, correctional officers, border patrol, secret service, and all the first responders, thank you all for keeping us safe here at home. And remember that we all make mistakes. But the mistakes that you can't recover from are the ones that you don't own, the ones that you don't admit.
So step up, admit your mistakes, and own your mistakes, and then, no matter what, keep getting after it. And until next time, this is Jason Gardner and Echo and Jocko, out.